the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So, you know, I'm the kind of person who always misses UFO sightings. I've said this before. Like, in a situation back in 1976, I was one of the principal sponsors of a UFO convention in or near Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. You know, great historic place. The convention was sort of a success. We only lost $100 on it in 1976 dollars. So what is that today? $10,000 or something. Something like that. No, a couple three hundred. A couple three hundred. I'm kidding. Okay, so a few of the people who attended there said, Did you see the UFO? I said, No, I was sitting there losing my shirt on this convention. I hardly had time to worry about UFOs. Didn't see them. Segway to March 13th, 1997. Now, remember, this is something that most of you listeners know about. You know what I'm going to say right now. I lived at the time in Scottsdale, Arizona. This was the birthday of my late brother Wallace. Okay? Doesn't mean anything. He would have been 63 years old had he survived till that date. He died two years earlier. Anyway, so on March 13th, 1997, we have the Phoenix Lights. I was home. I was writing books. But I saw no Phoenix Lights. The UFOs again passed me by. Now, we're recording this episode early in November. All right? So, I get a story from one of our listeners, and I'm paging through it right now, about something called the Scottsdale Lights. Now, Scottsdale, Arizona is a suburb, northeast suburb of Phoenix, Arizona. Okay? And we had something called the Scottsdale Lights. All right? And it just looks like flares or something. This was above a high school football game. Uh, the Horizon Huskies. And if you go to the site, something called thepostgame.com, and you look it up, you'll see something flying in the sky, something taken by people who have mobile phones, some lights in the sky. Could be anything. But I didn't see it. Of course, I don't attend high school football games. That's my problem. Why do the UFOs pass me by, Chris? Is this the trickster at work or the anti-trickster? I don't know, Gene. I th- I think, you know, you just scare them away. Um, if you're outside, they they don't appear. When you're inside, that's when they tend to appear. It's just no way around it. <laughs> I won't touch that one. No, you do want to touch it, but you know, very close. But seriously speaking, never happens to me. Never see UFOs. My wife has had a couple of psychic-related experiences, and I think she may have seen a UFO at one time, just a light in the sky. Doesn't happen to me. So, Chris O'Brien. You've seen UFOs, though. You're a lucky guy. We could probably do a whole show on my sightings. <laughs> We've mentioned them in passing, but maybe because uh, I'm being the person who's always left out. Tell our listeners quickly, you know, because we only have a couple of minutes and we actually have a real guest today, what you think your most significant sighting was and when it happened. Well, it's really hard to place any sort of value or significance on them. They all occurred when I least expected them, which the best sightings normally do. They just kind of come out of the blue. Very rarely have I seen things when I'm out looking for them, although I have. Probably the most impressive one that I've seen was uh, about 150 feet away from me. It was a small 12-foot kind of hybrid craft. 
that flew directly in front of the car, about 150 feet away, 50 feet off the road. Hybrid crash. I wasn't What's driving. That? It it looked like it could be. Um, it looked like some retro thing from the Jetsons. Uh, is the only way I can put it. You saw and, a uh, tune. <laughs> you know, Ladies I'm not sure. I this wasn't is spectacular. Driving. Chris O'Brien, our favorite trickster, my friend, our co-host, saw a tune. You know, did you see Roger Rabbit too? <laughs> uh, no. no, it 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 was just like this hybrid. It, it was a disc discoidal shape, but it had a slight flare on the back of it, like a, a small vertical table stabilizer. And it zipped right across the road. I mean, I, at first I thought it was a model airplane of some type. Um, was the first thing that flashed in my mind, and I thought it was really close to the car. But I noticed it went behind trees that were about 150 feet away before it shot out across the Werfano Valley. And it, it really moved weird. It was almost like uh, when you reel in a, a fishing lure really fast and it kind of skips it kind of skipped like that. It, it, it's very hard to describe. It, it did not look like it was any sort of ballistic, you know, just regular ballistic motion. Um, since I wasn't driving and it, it went from left to right, I was able to grab my binoculars and really check it out um, fairly well out the window. And um, I figured it was about 12 feet long. And, uh, you know, it was, it was 1 o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday, a beautiful, brilliant you know, fall day, and uh, that was my first real up close and personal um, sighting. And well, actually, my only one that was you know within you know two hundred feet. But um, I've had others too. I've had you know boomerang shaped craft craft that did a falling leaf pattern down into a depression area in the Buck of Grants. Uh, that was a daylight sighting. I've had quite a number of silver orbs that. Uh, hang in the sky. They're fairly high, but um, you know, low enough so that you could tell the shape. And uh, then they blink out, and then just a few seconds later, they're 20 miles away, and uh, you can barely make them out. So, you know, and the lights in the sky thing, I mean, red red lights, uh, orbs, orange, you know, green, uh, huge green fireball I saw. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, slowly over the sun as base. Chris says this, I have to tell you, I am insanely jealous. Okay, <laughs> he sees all these things. He sees or thirteen in one sighting. You were thirteen of them in one sighting. Then I got on night vision videotape. Okay, is that posted at your site? No, but it was just broadcast on the uh, Mysteries of the National Park show on the Travel Channel a couple of weeks back. That's the first time it's been aired. I should probably get that that footage up. Yes, well, we're trying to get your site redesigned. Unfortunately, the person... And I have some good news for the Paracast uh, listening audience out there. The San Luis Valley Camera Project is back up and and running. We're going to have uh, a link to the MUFON Orange County website here well, within the next couple of days. So um, by the time this airs, hopefully we'll have an IP address for everybody to go and check out the uh, the San Luis Valley Camera Project camera. Um, is We're back up online. Mm. Yeah, That's been a hard thing, hard not to crack. Yeah, and expensive, and you know, it's it's taken four trips up there and back, and you know, it's it's a lot of work, but we're getting her done. Oh, we can't wait for that. We'll be mentioning that in the weeks to come as more and more things happen. But today, you brought us a guest from Denver, a guy who's written a whole bunch of books, but 
What is Jeff Danilek going to focus on? Well, he's written one of the better books that I've seen on the great airship wave of the late 1880s or 1890s. And I think that uh, that is a a very, very intriguing uh, series of events that occurred uh, off and on over about three years, 1896, I think uh, the first sightings uh, really started. And then there were sightings all through 1897 into 1898, and then a few years later in New Zealand, um, there were some similar sightings. So he's done quite a bit of research on this particular sighting wave, and I can't wait to pick his brain a little bit about this and find out where he comes down on the Aurora, Texas, you know, windmill crash and supposed buried aliens in the town cemetery there. Hope he doesn't mention we're Hayden gonna talk Hughes. About Remember cool Hayden Hughes? He got a lot of publicity saying nope. that he knew what was actually buried at Aurora, Texas. You know, it didn't come to much, mm. but he made a big, big spiel over it. This was many, many years ago, but you never heard of him. Anyway, I should also tell you, speaking of getting in touch and all that stuff, if you go to the Paracast at Twitter, you'll find we're there. Yes, we do have a Twitter account. We never mention it very much. The book, by the way, is called The Great Airship of 1897. The guest is Jeff Danilek. He'll be joining us momentarily. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I had already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. Fate Magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fate Magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Hi, Jason Lewis here. Anybody who's been listening to my program knows how shaky the U.S. economy is right now. Will we have a V-shaped recovery or will it be a W-shaped one where the nation slips back into recession? Of course, if you think that Washington can spend or inflate its way out of a downturn, you've got nothing to worry about. But as you know, I have my doubts. So let me tell you about gold. Now, as my friend Ted Anderson from Midas Resources likes to say, gold, like all commodity markets, fluctuates in price, and you could lose money. But it has never been worth zero. Give it some thought, and if you're interested in converting your IRA to gold or would like to actually have it in your possession, call Midas Resources today at 1-800-686-2237. The U.S. dollar was once backed by gold, but has since lost 90% of its value. And if things don't change, I'm afraid the trend will continue. Call Midas Resources today at 1-800-686-2237 for gold and tell them Jason Lewis sent you. 
Ready for cold and flu season? Now's the time to get ready and save during the pre-winter sale at HerbalHealer.com. Stock up on powerful, natural flu fighters like olive leaf extract, elderberry power, and grapefruit seed liquid. Don't forget your vitamin D3 this winter. Right now, HerbalHealer.com has 120 soft gels, 1,000 IUs on sale for only $9. And remember, HerbalHealer.com offers eFoods Global Products, delicious, premium, storable foods that contain no MSG, no trans fats, no GMO, and have a 25-year shelf life. Click the eFoods link on HerbalHealer.com and try eFoods storable meals for free. Bookmark HerbalHealer.com, then experience live chat, correspondence courses, and sign up for our free newsletter. As always, new customers get a free 128-page catalog with your order. Log on and hit the pre-winter specials at HerbalHealer.com. Healing the world with nature, one person at a time, since 1988. Plant a healthy garden easy and fast with OrganicaSeed.com. Easy because OrganicaSeed.com offers one of the largest online selections of organic, heirloom, non-hybrid, and untreated seeds, as well as tobacco and cotton seeds at low prices. Go to OrganicaSeed.com, spelled O-R-G-A-N-I-C-A-Seed.com. OrganicaSeed.com. Remember, OrganicaSeed is healthy seed. HempUSA.org has a revolutionary wonder food for detoxing the body and rebuilding the immune system. Microplant powder can help unclog arteries and soften heart valves while removing heavy metals, virus, fungus, bacteria, and parasites. Plus, it cleans and purifies the blood, lungs, stomach, and colon. Keep your body clean with microplant powder. Visit us at HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And if you'd like to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com. Or check us out at iTunes. We're going back in time to 1897 with Jeff Danilek. And he's a longtime UFO paranormal researcher. He's written quite a number of books. By the way, there's another book that came out of his recently called Phantoms of the Skies, which is the lost history of aviation from antiquity to the Wright brothers. I'm going to ask him about that book because that's also... It's fascinating. But now we'll look at other people who fly or creatures. 1897, why is that so significant for people just maybe getting into the UFO mystery and trying to figure out what's going on? Well, 1897 was the first year that we had a UFO flap in this country. A lot of people think it all started in 1947, you know, with uh, the Arnold sighting, but it actually goes back to 1897 when people were started seeing unexplained lights in the sky, and it made the uh, made the press of the day. One thing I've heard from time to time from skeptics is that the newspapers who carry these stories were kind of playing around just to maybe sell newspapers. You know, a few of those people didn't mind doing that. Well, you know, that probably was a part of that. That certainly was an element of it, especially some of the smaller papers. But if you look at how they worded the articles themselves, they don't really do it in a tongue-in-cheek sort of fashion like you see with the more 
fun stuff they did. It's reported, for the most part, very seriously. That's not to say people didn't make up stuff, but the way it's reported, it looks like it's a legitimate news story, and that's the way they seem to be covering it. Was there a specific sighting, as there sometimes are with so-called UFO flaps, that triggered the whole thing? Yes, actually, it all began in November of uh, 1897 when uh, people in the city of Sacramento saw this light moving across the sky over the city against the breeze, against the wind. And they didn't know what it was. People thought it was a light hanging from beneath a cigar-shaped vessel of some kind, a vehicle. And so they started calling it a dirigible or an airship. That was picked up. It was seen a week later over San Francisco and all over the California, Central California area for almost a month and a half. And that was what really triggered the whole thing. Is it possible it was some kind of balloon or something, or dirigible? Well, the premise of my book, uh, I explore this very idea that this was really some kind of a cutting-edge piece of technology. There's really three alternatives. There's either it's it's an it's a alien spacecraft, it's all a hoax, or it's a real airship that somebody had built. And so I wanted to think... I wanted to put the idea uh, out there. What would it take to really build something like this in 1897? Were the materials there? Could you have done it? Could somebody actually have built this thing in secret in California and was test flying it? And that's basically the, the whole, well, my whole theory, my whole hypothesis, if you will. Isn't it also true some of those sightings involve airships that landed and pilots who came out saying, hey, you know, I'm perfecting this new aircraft. Stay tuned. We'll soon introduce it. There was a couple of instances in which people claimed that they spoke with the crew members of these of this airship. It's remarkable how human they were. They were, you know, uh, just run-of-the-mill humans. Sometimes, apparently, a couple of people even got tours inside the vessel. So if these are to be taken as literal truth, uh, it sounds as though we're dealing with a, a real piece of machinery here and not something extraterrestrial. Well, I, uh, Jeff, I, I, uh, this is Chris here, and welcome to the show. Um, okay. I do seem to recall that at the beginning of the wave, there was some talk of a of an inventor who I think approached the press at some point and and had some very enigmatic comments about the airship and how he kind of knew where where it was from. And then at the end of the wave, I believe in Massachusetts, there was I think uh, an inventor who claimed he was going to have a press conference and, and do a big un unveiling of the thing, which never happened, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I'm not familiar with the, the uh, Massachusetts one at the end. However, I am familiar with uh, some of the early press accounts out of California, where there was a lawyer, I believe his name was Andrews, who stepped forward and said that he had met the uh, the inventor, uh, he had seen the uh, the facility where he created the airship, uh, and that he was going to uh, come forward once he'd gotten it uh, perfected. And this guy came out and was very public about it. And then a couple of days later, he sort of recanted it as though somebody got to him and said, hey, you need to keep this quiet. Okay, so is this the early Men in Black? <laughs> Not Men in Black. I think it's more of, his, of the, the business partners that were in on this. Uh, I think they were trying to keep this quiet, and this guy basically was a braggart. He came out and talked about, hey, I, I know something no one else knows. And I think they came right. to him and said, look, you know, you need to keep this quiet until we are ready to go public with it. Otherwise, you know, we're going to get you. Yeah, the men in seersucker. <laughs> well, you know, in the book, I premise that the, the people behind this thing were probably, may have been lawyers or a lawyer who was financing this whole thing. You know, in San Francisco, 1897, the gold rush, there was a lot of very wealthy people in the city, and any one of them could have 
been behind, uh, behind this. And lawyers tend to know other lawyers. They hang out with those people. So if there yeah, was the, a lawyer who was yeah. financing it, at the you know, bottom of the know, ocean, along with the others, yeah, all suckers, the sharks no. and stuff. Right, it's a possibility that they just said, "Hey, uh, quiet, <laughs> keep this down." But did any of these so-called stories or claims of an upcoming invention ever come to pass? No, actually, uh, what happened was these uh, sightings kind of stopped uh, fairly suddenly in mid-December, eighteen ninety-seven, and then they there was nothing really heard for a couple of months. And then in the spring of 18, uh, or 1897, in the spring, they started picking up again in the Midwest, as though the inventor was moving his invention further east. He was experimenting with it, doing short hops across the Midwest. And then all of a sudden, about the middle of April, they just stopped again. Uh, the premise that I put in the book is that perhaps they met with some sort of a mishap about that time, and the, and the whole venture blew up, essentially, uh, and literally. In Aurora, Texas, right? They hit a windmill. Well, no, actually, uh, there was a report out of a newspaper in Kalamazoo, Michigan, uh, in which uh, someone reported seeing an explosion in the sky, the sound of, uh, like, cannon fire. Um, and so it's possible that it went down somewhere over the northern Midwest. The, the Texas... Uh, the Aurora, Texas sightings and all those sightings in Texas seem to be misplaced from what I could see in my research. They seemed like they were a separate entity or en energy about them that were disconnected from the main sightings in the Midwest. So I tend to personally discount a lot of the Texas sightings as being probably frivolous. This was more of a, a remote area at the time, more of a, uh, a place that would have been more likely to invent stuff. Um, but you know, it's hard to know what reports are credible and which aren't. Is you know, how do you really define that? Right. I just for your own information, uh, in my research in the San Luis Valley, uh, for my first book, I happened to, un or actually my second book, I happened to uncover a small little notice, a little article, one paragraph article in um, a Central Colorado newspaper that referred to a, an airship uh, sighting that happened near Gunnison, uh, Colorado. And this is the only mention that I can find of uh, anybody seeing these things in the Rocky Mountain region. So we might have to compare notes later, and I might have to uh, uh, shoot that information over to you. I was very surprised to find Well, I'll that. tell you what, we'll explore many surprises with Jeff Danilek. The 1897 airship mystery, or not a mystery, with Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hey folks, in today's fast-paced work environment, getting everyone in the same room for a meeting can be challenging, especially when they work in different locations. And that's why I use GoToMeeting with HD Faces by Citrix. It is amazing. You can collaborate online by sharing your presentation. While seeing colleagues face-to-face -face in high definition, they can hide their blemishes. Video quality is so clear and natural, it's like being in the same room. And all you need is an internet connection with a webcam. It's that easy. So here's what I can do. For example, on the Paracast, which I host with my friend Chris O'Brien, we live in different locations. We need to share something, a document or something like that. All I have to do is call him up with GoToMeeting, and I say, Chris, take a look at this, and he said he's ready to go. You can try GoToMeeting with HD Faces free for 30 days. Visit GoToMeeting.com, click the Try It Free button, enter the promo code PODCAST, use the promo code PODCAST.
Jason Lewis here with the holidays just around the corner. Be sure to consider the greatest gift you can give to your friends and family, peace of mind. That's why I choose wisefoodstorage.com. Wisefoodstorage.com offers delicious ready-made meals like cheesy lasagna, savory stroganoff, and pasta alfredo that are packaged for freshness in individual metal mylar pouches and carry a 25-year shelf life. And they're ready to eat in minutes. Simply add hot water. Request a free entree sample today at wisefoodstorage.com. And for a limited time, get free shipping and 10% off of your order. That's right, a free entree, free shipping, and 10% off any order. Just use promo code LEWIS. Call 855-FOODWISE. That's 855-366-3947. Or visit wisefoodstorage.com. That's wise, W-I-S-E, foodstorage.com. Gourmet emergency food at the best price and the greatest gift you can give to the ones you love this holiday season. Big Berkey water filters are in high demand. Storable foods are also in high demand. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has always kept our focus on the Berkey water filter products. But increasingly, our customers have been asking for storable foods. After months of research, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com now offers great-tasting, long-lasting, storable foods. These ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches. All you do is just add water. And because they're sealed so well, they come with a 25-year shelf life. Combine our Berkey water filters, which are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water with our storable foods, and you have a winning combination. Remember, we offer free shipping on every order over $50, and GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY today. What nutrition are you missing that's leading to the four major diseases? cancer, arthritis, heart disease, and Parkinson's. There are at least 80,000 medical studies that show a lack of the protein glutathione to be linked to cancer, heart disease, Parkinson's, macular degeneration, lung disease, digestive diseases, diabetes, Alzheimer's, ALS, rheumatoid arthritis, and lupus. In all, at least 68 diseases. What is the number one food by which your body is most empowered to increase its glutathione production? It is undamaged whey protein from grass-fed cows. One World Whey is truly the first undamaged whey protein. All other whey protein powders are damaged by heat, chemicals, and filtration. One World Whey is the most life-giving whey protein powder ever produced. Call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorldWhey.com. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast. We have Jeff Danilek exploring the 1897 mystery of the airships with Gene and Chris on the Paracast. As we continue our exploration, I want to go just briefly, segue back before we cover what Chris said, to Aurora, Texas. Because as I mentioned to Chris before you came on, we weren't talking about you behind your back, except in a very nice way, which isn't always the case on the PowerCast. We have a reputation. But what I did mention was there was a guy, I don't know if he's still around, but back in the 70s, I think, a guy named Hayden C. Hughes. Remember him? Mm-hmm. Okay. Tell us the story of Hayden Hughes and Aurora, Texas. 
Now, isn't this, if I'm correct, this is the gentleman who believed that the parts of the airship that had crashed there supposedly were buried in a well on his property? That's essentially it, yes. Yeah, and then as he, he tried to clean out this well and he developed this really disfiguring sort of... No, arthritis. no, that wasn't it. He was claiming to the press that he found a burial site supposedly that contained a being from oh, out okay. there. Okay. Yeah, there actually was a stone and everything. And in the report at the time, they actually claimed that they found this this burnt body in the wreckage and then they gave it a Christian burial, <laughs> which is interesting, uh, in an unmarked grave at the uh, Aurora uh, Cemetery. And supposedly there was even a stone that was in place there for a while saying it, but it's since vanished. Nobody really has seen this stone in quite a few years, uh, if it ever was there to begin with. Um, uh, historians in the town have uh, looked into uh, the stories from that era and they have discovered or believed that uh, it was a attempt to bring attention to the town because it was being bypassed by the railroad and it was losing a lot of its population. This, the city was in real serious straits. And so one of the reporters there made up this story, basically, a Dallas reporter, about this airship crash in an, in an effort to bring attention to the area. And apparently it didn't really work at the time. It, the story didn't really come out as such until about the 70s when people kind of discovered it in sort of a, a, an offhanded way. I'll give so, you the story, uh, by the way. I found the original mm -hmm. UPI release. A grave in a small North Texas cemetery contains the body of an 1897 astronaut who was not an inhabitant of this world, according to the International UFO Bureau. That, by the way, is Hayden Hughes' organization. The group, okay. which investigates unidentified flying objects, has already initiated legal proceedings to exhume the body and will go to court if necessary to open the grave, Director Hayden Hughes said. Now, obviously that didn't happen, <laughs> okay? He no. failed. Yeah, he did. And, but he got um, national publicity? Uh, hey. Oh, absolutely. And I don't understand how he could make that claim, you know, without a body in front of you, how you can declare that this thing is from another planet without any sort of physical evidence in front of you is, is a little bit uh, disconcerting. So can we assume, then, that Aurora, Texas is just somebody's figment of their imagination trying to get that publicity to get the railroad to come in? I think that was a big part of it, yeah. Um, you know, I've dealt with the UFO community, and I think there's some wonderful people who are out there doing some uh, some real research on us. But I also think I hear a butt coming. group out there. You are? I said I heard that butt coming. <laughs> However... <laughs> There's a small group of people out there, I think, who are sensationalists, and they glom on to just about anything that is going to bolster their opinion that there are extraterrestrials all over the place. And so I think this is maybe one of those instances where people got caught up in the story, and then once you come out with it and, and go public with it, it's awfully hard to rescind it without looking foolish. And so you kind of dive in with both feet, you have nothing really to show for it, and you hope that people forget that you ever mentioned it, and of course they never do, and you know, that kind of thing happens all the time. Well, I guess Hayden Hughes is just a relic of history now, UFO history. I haven't heard anything about him since then. I think that was a pretty embarrassing episode, though. Yeah, I suspect so. And, but the, the thing is that there's a lot of uh, those kinds of people out there, 
and uh, it's hard to work your way through the real science versus the the sensationalism that uh, the entire subject seems to uh, you know to to attract with such regularity. <laughs> So, what do you think of the UFO hunter segment on Aurora? I, I felt that it was quite uh, quite humorous. Well, you know, the, the UFO hunters, they're nice guys and everything, but they have a particular agenda, and they really don't question stuff very well. They don't look for alternative explanations. They just say, well, see, this is what this guy said, so it must be true. Now, by the way, we um, should mention that Chris had an encounter with the UFO hunters people where he did a segment and they basically did a geographical flame out there where events in Colorado suddenly occurred in Arizona. <laughs> yeah, well, we won't get into that. No, that's enough to yeah, be said, but basically his experience wasn't too pleasant. Obviously, this came across as a show in search of ratings, but only lasted a couple of years before it was canceled. Yeah, and I think that if they would try to be a little bit more objective, in some of these explorations, I think they get a wider viewing audience. You know, they're, they're really pandering to a group that are already true believers. And just like the Ancient Aliens that, uh, series, you know, these people already believe this stuff, and you're just kind of feeding into it. But if they would be more objective, I think you get more people interested in, in watching and seeing and making up their own mind. And that's what you really want people to do. I think you see that in the UFO field, the really core true believers who accept all the nonsense amount to maybe a few thousand people. And you can't expand interest in the subject if you cater to them. Now, we kind of straddle a lot of different universes here because we're on commercial radio, we're online, we're available on iTunes, and therefore we bring on people who have been in the field for many years, people a little bit more new, and our listeners run the gamut. Some have been exploring this thing from time immemorial, and then some. Others are new to the subject, and we kind of try to serve both masters. And so bringing you on, we're trying to get a realistic look of 1897. But before we get into more detail, and I think we'll just move away from Aurora, in more detail of the cases here, do you think anything in 1897 indicates the presence of something unknown, paranormal, ET, whatever? Well, you know, I looked at that theory in my book, you know, the whole idea of extraterrestrials being an explanation, and the thing I noticed about these reports is that these things weren't doing anything very extraordinary. They weren't blasting out of, you know, out of space real quick. They weren't, they weren't making any erratic maneuvers. They weren't doing anything that was very ET-like, uh, which led me to believe that it probably was a more terrestrial vehicle. So to answer your question, I don't believe that any of these sightings had anything to do with extraterrestrials. That's not to say, however that extraterrestrials weren't perhaps observing this entire event from orbit just to see what we're doing. But in terms of actually interfering, I don't believe so. Isn't it also interesting in the UFO cases that the technology displayed by the UFOs always seems to be a step or two ahead of us, but that's it. Well, you know, the most interesting uh, example of that was the Betty of Barney Hill uh, story where uh, Betty described the inside of the spacecraft that she was supposedly abducted on board, and they were using a chart, their space map, if you will, that was on a roller. You should pull it down, and that was their map. And I thought, well, that's kind of an interesting uh, old school way of of navigating, <laughs> using your your having your charts on a on a roller 
and just pulling them down with a string. Uh, it sounds as though people really kind of describe things in their own technological understanding um, and confusing that for, for high tech, and it's really not. It's pretty low tech. Most of the UFO stuff you see out there, you wonder, how could these UFOs manage to get all the way out here with such uh, low technology? Well, I kind of felt for a number of years that the so-called star map in the Barney and Betty Hill case was a put-up job, whether the thing is real or not. That particular instance, star maps, ET, highly advanced, traveling across the stars to get to Earth, and they're using star maps, you wonder. Jeff Danilek joins us. We don't wonder about him. Sometimes Chris wonders about me, because you're in the Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? More important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Are you ready to order the official Paracast t-shirt? You asked, we answered. We're now taking orders for the official Paracast t-shirt. It comes in white, 100% cotton. The front of it features the same logo that we have on our community forums. On the back it says, separating signal from noise. To order the official Paracast t-shirt, here's all you have to do. Visit our new online store at store.theparacast.com. One more time, that's store.theparacast.com. You can use a major credit card to place your order for the official Paracast t-shirt. Hey, neighbors, we have one more thing to talk about, and that's more merchandise at the official Paracast store. We have hats, we have jackets, we even have a flip video camcorder customized with the Paracast logo at the official Paracast store. It's all now available at the official Paracast store, store store.theparacast.com. What happened, man? You used to be energetic, happy, and wow, did the ladies love you. Now, you fall asleep on the couch, irritable, and out of shape. Don't be that guy. Call now for a risk-free trial of Ageless Male, a natural supplement shown to raise testosterone by 50% and maintain healthy, normal levels. No injections, no appointments. With healthy testosterone levels, you can feel that energy again, that great outlook again, and yes, even a healthy sex drive. Right now, you can try Ageless Male risk-free. There's nothing to lose, guys. If you're a man who's noticed changes in your body, your mood, your sex life, call now for a risk-free trial of Ageless Male. Be the guy you used to be. Just call 1-888-246-0623. Don't wait another day. Just call 1-888-246-0623. Again, 1-888-246-0623. Whatever winter activity you enjoy, from snowmobiling, snowshoeing, skiing, or camping, there's inherent danger that you may find yourself having to stay warm. Be ready with Instafire, a revolutionary, safe, simple, and versatile fire starter. Instafire is a patented blend of volcanic rock, wood pellets, and paraffin wax that gets a fire blazing in just minutes. Instafire is self-sustaining fire that starts right on top of snow or water and even burns wet wood. Sound incredible? It is. Check it out at instafire.com, a must for any outdoor 
outdoor winter activity, Instafire easily lights with matches or flintlock lighters, is environmentally friendly, stores easy, is lightweight, comes in a variety of sizes, and starts at a buck twenty-five for a single pack or only fifty-nine ninety-five for a five-gallon pail with free shipping. Go to Instafire.com, spelled I-N-S-T-A Fire.com, or call 888-482-4868. That's 888-482-4868. Safe, simple, versatile. Instafire. Folks, have you lost your power and wanted to simply flip a switch to get the lights back on? If so, this is going to be the most important message you'll ever hear because there's never been a better time to get ready for the winter power outages ahead. Here's why. Solar power generators are now available from our friends at Solutions from Science, one of our oldest sponsors. Their emergency backup systems provide life-saving electrical power when you need it most. Unlike gas generators, a solar generator runs quietly, emits no fumes, and produces electricity from the sun. It's like having an electric power plant running quietly in your own home. Whether it's ice storms, brownouts, or blackouts, you'll never have to suffer through painful power outages again. When the power goes out this winter, you'll be ready with a solar power generator from Solutions from Science. Go to MySolarBackup.com for more information. That's MySolarBackup.com or call 877-327-0365. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? Why does Chris worry about me? I think it's because, you know, he never knows what I'm going to do. I never tell him what I'm going to do. He has to just kind of take it and put up with it. And he accepts it with... Thank you, sir. Can I have another? That's right. You know, he just... No, I don't do that. We used to have a host where I never knew what was going to happen. uh, Getting back to your your point about presage technology or precursor technology, now, most of our listeners are probably aware that, um, you know, solid, uh, heavier-than-air dirigibles um, weren't invented for another three years but the time frame is very very close I think Ferdinand uh, von Zeppelin did his first maiden flight sometime in the summer of 1900 if uh, memory serves me correct but this is uh, an example of just slightly ahead of our time technology being viewed as ex- extraordinary because of its uh, of, of the timing but it also falls neatly into your uh, suspicion that this could possibly have been very te- terrestrial technology that was that was being trotted out and, and field tested, basically. My only problem with that theory is, is why did those lawyers or whoever was behind this thing, why didn't they maximize the potential and beat Von Zeppelin to the patent office, basically, and and actually, you know, trot this technology out and, and do a big... Uh, a big unveiling of it. I mean, they, well, there's something about that that doesn't make sense. Yeah, my premise is that that's what they were actually doing was was keeping it a secret while they were developing the technologies, testing it in these series of flights and short hops around California and then later in the Midwest with the idea of eventually bringing it out to the East Coast and then unveiling it all at once. That way they would not have to worry about people stealing the patents. Remember, this is the time of Edison and Westinghouse were constantly stealing each other's ideas, trying to beat each other in the patent office, 
So this kind of thing happened quite a bit among inventors. There was a lot of theft. The Wright brothers were notorious for making sure that nobody had anything on their airplane that they had patented. You know, so I can understand why a person would want to keep it private. Once they were able to refine the technology and get it to the point where it was, you know, working reliably, then they could unveil it and get a lot of support at that point, a lot of, a lot of people buying into it. The other thing I wanted to say real quick, though, is that airships had flown prior to this, back in the summer of 1884-1885, two French engineers, Renard and Kreps, had built an airship called La France, which was a little electric-powered airship about 150 feet long, and they actually flew uh, several times in this thing successfully. The idea that uh, there wasn't any airships prior to 1897 simply isn't supported by history, and in fact is why I kind of wedged, I went to this idea, because it seemed like it was the next logical step after Renard and Krebs had proven the concept. It was a matter of simply refining the technology, more powerful engines, things like that, to, to make it more feasible. That's, that's my premise. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I had no idea that someone beat Von Zeppelin to the punch there. Well, here's another question for you. If you look through the accounts from the time, you'll notice that there's quite a, a wide variety of descriptions of these craft. How do you account for widely differing descriptions of what we're talking about as being a single or possibly two craft or something? Well, I, be, I think that, like I said, a lot of the descriptions probably were erroneous. Um, I think people got caught up in the fever of this thing. Uh, there was a lot of uh, interest in it. People would see a, a, something in the sky or sometimes just out and out make stuff up just to get in the paper. I mean, they had accounts from as far north as Canada, as far south as, as South Texas. And obviously this airship couldn't have been all over the Midwest. I mean, it just simply was not practical that it could. So a lot of these reports most likely are either wrong or uh, hoaxes. And that would uh, account for a lot of disparity. However, what's amazing about this is that there was a lot of uh, agreement most people said this thing was up to 200 feet long and uh, cigar-shaped. They would vary sometimes on whether it had one light or two lights or things like that. But uh, as far as the general overall shape and description of the thing, most of them were pretty consistent. So why do we want to find something mystical about it other than to say, hey, you know, conceivably these were early experiments in heavier-than-air flight? Or well, is always the idea of, of not, you know, that not knowing is very attractive. There's something happened, it's a mystery, we don't know what it is, and it, people just find that to be fascinating. And so they come in and they want to fill in those gaps in our knowledge. I suspect that history is full of things that happened that we don't know about, that were the information was lost or the person got killed before they were able to reveal it. And we just, we, we want to know these things. So when we get a mystery like 1897 airship, people want to fill in those blanks and, and uh, make it into a bigger thing than it really is. Because if you, if you think about it, if it really was just a guy who had invented an airship, that's not that exciting. But if you think it's a UFO or extraterrestrials or, or something like that, it suddenly becomes a much more exciting story. All right. Was this particularly in the U.S. and Canada? Do we find airships around the world? Well, interestingly, there are accounts of airships being seen in a lot of different places around the world during the 1800s. 
some of these were probably erroneous reports, misrepresentations of the planet Venus or something like that. But um, it's hard to know. Like I said, things probably happened in history that we don't know about, and we never will, just because the information has been lost. So it's not at all amazing to me to think that some people out there in different countries may have had the same idea. After all, the airplane was being developed by people in different countries all over the world at about the same time. Most of them weren't even working together. They didn't even know about the other person, and they were coming up with a lot of the same ideas and concepts. Was a rush uh, to be first to with a successful invention, a successful aircraft, or were they, as you say, totally unaware of each other? I think a lot of them were unaware. I mean, communications back then was, was very poor. Unless you really made an effort to find out what was going on in the world of aeronautics, it was easy to assume that nothing much was happening and you were starting from scratch. That's why you had so much redundancy in early aviation attempts, uh, efforts, uh, because people were duplicating the same thing, inventing the wheel over and over again because they didn't know what anyone else was doing. Just parenthetically, the Wright brothers, how close were other inventors to doing what they did? There may have actually been a gentleman. Yeah, really close. Yeah, actually a couple years before the Wright brothers, a gentleman named uh, Gustav Whitehead uh, had constructed a small monoplane and there are people who believe, and I happen to be one of them, who believe that he actually was able to get this thing to fly for short distances as early as 1901. So the Wright brothers were the first. What they did differently is they they recorded everything. They got photographs. They kept records. They had witnesses. They were marketing a experts. A lot of the inventors worked. Yeah, you know, a lot of the experts, a lot of the inventors worked in private, in secret. They didn't want people to know what they were doing, and then nobody knew about it. What about patent laws back in the late portions of the 19th century? Did we have a patent law in the United States, didn't we, or not? Oh, yeah, yeah, you could, people patented stuff all the way back to the early Okay, so weren't there rights to one's inventions then? Not unless you filed a patent, it was accepted. Of course, we understand that. Because yeah, some I mean, people didn't. I, I love the quote from the head of the patent office, and I think it was 1898, that uh, don't bother uh, trying anymore. Everything that can be invented has been invented. <laughs> okay, let's just give it up yeah, and go home. the future, wasn't he? <laughs> I have a question for Jeff here. Another really cool event that I uncovered in my research uh, in, in the Rocky Mountain region was a very obscure, little-known event that was very well covered in the state of New Mexico, and it, it involves in 1880 a like a an airship type object, but in the shape of a fish, uh, like a giant fish that landed near uh, the town picnic of Galisteo, New Mexico, in 1880. And a group of small diminutive beings got out and got into a terrible argument in some weird language, and were yelling and screaming at each other. And they finally resolved the the argument. You know, in front of these astonished townspeople, got got back aboard their uh, their fish shaped uh, airship, and took off. Have you ever heard of that one? Uh, my research indicates that was a band of Italians. That was a band of tiny Italians, young Italians, <laughs> little Italians. Yeah, um, and they were just having a con- you know cool conversation. They were having disagreement, and they got it worked out. So you know, all 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 was good in the end. But to answer your question, <laughs> I'm being flippant, I'm sorry, but no, I, I'm not really familiar with this particular story. Uh, I would like to, to find out about that. Sounds we'll have more yeah, stories, more stories. So many more coming up in the subsequent hours here 
with Jeff Danilek as we return to 1897 and earlier, going back through time with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you own an Apple iPhone and love to listen to your favorite programs on GCN, I've got good news for you. I'm proud to announce that GCN has a brand new iPhone app available for our dedicated listeners at GCNlive.com. Listen to your favorite hard-hitting GCN programs live or on demand right on your iPhone. And the best part? The GCN iPhone app can be yours absolutely free. Download the iPhone app today by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. With Jeff Danilek, with Gene and Chris on the Paracast, blaming it on who in 1897? I guess you blamed it on the Italians, but small Italians. Very, and now, by very, the way, we're not insulting Italians. You see, it's a very politically correct society these days. So, you know, I'll give you an example of this. Just a few weeks ago, I started watching these old DVDs of the Dean Martin celebrity roast from the 1970s. And ethnic humor abounded there. They attacked everyone. and Everybody had a good time. Everybody laughed. Now, if you do it... You're a racist. Whatever happened? Yeah, we've we've become PCIized. It's not fun. Well, ain't that the truth? Chris, you want to pursue this further? Well, I do. Um, you know, this whole wave of sightings, I think, um, is extremely underappreciated in the ufological community. Of course, everybody you know who's done their research, uh, I'm sure, is familiar with it, but. I don't think the total scope and the width and breadth of the impact of these sightings um, is fully appreciated in the field. I mean, we're talking hundreds, if not thousands, of witnesses to these events, and quite a number of, as, as you pointed out, Jeff, quite a number of very sober, very factual newspaper accounts. This did create quite an uproar in the country, but it died down quickly, as, as you pointed out. Which of the of the sighting events do you think were the most impressive or had the most uh, gravitas in, in terms of newspaper coverage? Well, I really think that the first ones, the, the first reports that came out, because uh, they were right out of the blue. You know, you think about it, if this is something that were, somebody made up, some newspaper made up or something, it's just not the way it happens, where it just suddenly pops out like that. Plus the, the, the number of witnesses, like you said, and the degree of the witnesses, including uh, government officials, police chiefs, people uh, saw this thing. And it, but that was what I found interesting about this was that 
people didn't really think of this as extraterrestrial for the most part. Most of them assumed it was an inventor. And that's the way it was generally reported a lot in the press. So I think it's a lot of people in our time assume everything that's unexplained is extraterrestrial. But back in those days, they were much more practical uh, about these kinds of things. And they didn't jump to conclusions the way we do today, I think. Well, where do you come down on the, uh, the infamous Alexander Hamilton sighting uh, and uh, the abduction? Uh, there actually was an abduction event that uh, was associated with well, one of these airships, except they, the occupants of the airship lassoed a calf. I think it was in Kansas or someplace, and uh, oh, dragged, yeah, the, yeah. I dragged the calf that off. Okay, that was actually a hoax, and it was uh, perpetrated by a club that they had actually called the Liars Club. And people actually joined this, and they, they're, the whole idea was try to outdo the other person with the story how many people you could get to buy off on it. So this was later admitted that this was part of the Liars Club, you know, uh, goofing around here. And so that story, which has been used by a lot of debunkers to debunk the whole thing, um, really, it, it was a hoax. But I don't think you can debunk the whole thing based upon one story like that. Otherwise, it would be no UFO mystery. Uh, That's pretty creative, though, to lasso a calf and drag it off uh, as you're flying away. Well, hey, you know, if you're a member of the, of the Liars Club, you're going to come up with something creative. Um, this was quite um, a different culture back then. You know, we, we really don't understand uh, that time, that era, very well. But people, to entertain themselves, they didn't have television, they didn't have radio, they had nothing really but newspapers and storytelling. And so they would come up with very creative stuff. That's where the jackalope came from and the fur fish and all these things from the 1800s. Uh, and these people were very clever, very creative. And so there is a degree of joking going on with this whole phenomena. But uh, I think that doesn't explain the entire phenomena, although it does explain bits and pieces of it. Yeah, I knew a fur fish in college. <laughs> But remember, Chris went to college back in 1896. (laughs) That was his 60th year of college. Well, it took him 60 years to go past the first year. It was really troublesome. (laughs) He's not saying anything. He's just ignoring me. I I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) You jumped into it. You got your way into it. Okay, let's look at other cases, 1897. Any other really, really compelling cases you want to tell us about? Well, I thought it was interesting. Supposedly there is a photograph, or was a photograph taken of the airship over Chicago on the morning of April 11, 1897. Now, the photograph apparently was in such poor shape that they made a sketch from it, and I have that in my book. Uh, It appeared in the newspaper. But that would be really interesting if a photograph were to appear sometime showing this airship over, over some city. But that was the closest to actually getting a photo of this, this object. And it was reported very straightforward. The gentleman said he borrowed his son's box camera at 6 o'clock in the morning, took a photo of this thing. And uh, so, you know, what do you do with it? Uh, either the man's lying or he, he saw something and took a photograph. And they didn't have Photoshop. No, there was no Photoshop. And, and then, I mean, you could mess with negatives, I guess, if you knew what you were doing. But uh, uh, it, it seems uh, it, it doesn't sound like something that a paper would make up, you know, that, that someone got a photograph of it and then come up with a sketch 
that appears in the paper. That just doesn't sound, especially a larger paper like Chicago, because these were the people that could make and break political careers. So your paper had to have a degree of credibility. So you couldn't pull some of the stuff that some members of the media do today? No, well, you couldn't pull the kind of stuff maybe a small town paper could. You know, they could get away with, with making up stuff like this, and nobody cared. But when you are a major paper like, you know, uh, Omaha or Chicago, and you're, uh, you're making up stuff, that's going to hurt your credibility. It's going to hurt your ability to uh, be a, a player in the, uh, in the press world. Also, if they get exposed, of course, there's always a competition. You know, it's not like it is today where large cities have one or, at best, two newspapers. You had competition heavy competition. If you can kill the competitor off because they were publishing false stories, you can kill it with the advertisers. Well, exactly. You've got to imagine that you're an editor of one of these papers in Chicago and someone comes in and says, hey, people keep saying they saw these lights in the sky. You have to make a decision. Am I going to cover this as a straight story or am I going to disregard it? Or co- you know, So those decisions had to be made quite consistently by people. So I can't believe all of them uh, you know, were taken in by it. Maybe a few of them were, but I, I think most of them uh, really believed this was a legitimate story. I think people really expected this airship to land someplace and people to announce to the world that they had done it. And it just never yeah. happened, and that's the tragedy and the mystery of it. Yeah, there was definitely something going on, though, uh, at least in, in my estimation. I there, There's just too many credible witnesses that were willing to go on the record and come forward, and too many, as you pointed out, credible uh, newspaper accounts that uh, covered the whole thing. I just can't, I just can't, still, to this day, I, I can't understand why... You know, short of some sort of catastrophic crash that killed everybody involved, why the inventor of this thing didn't come forward and say, hey, surprise, it was me. What do you think of my new toy? Uh, hi, people. You know, I'm, well, I'm, uh, the, you know, what if the inventor was also the pilot and he did crash? Well, the other question I would have, wouldn't you find some wreckage? You'd think after all these years, maybe one piece of wreckage, one prototype, plans, something, some evidence that these things were being developed? Well, you know, I, I look at that, that issue in the book. Yeah, remember, in 1897, most of the Midwest was heavily forested. It was still pretty wild. Uh, something went down uh, over Michigan in those forests in Michigan. You know, you could, you could lose a herd of rhinos in that forest. And never find yeah, but them. what about when you um, start civilizing those areas over the years? Certainly the wreckage from 1897 would survive to 1960, 1980, 2011, wouldn't it? Well, some of it would. depends what it's made out of. If it's uh, made out of bamboo, uh, largely, or something like that, yeah, it, canvas. It would survive. But, you know, if the thing exploded in midair, so most of the bag is already gone, most of the, the structure of the ship is, is gone, the engines would survive in some capacity. Okay, that raises more issues that have to be explored. With <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Big questions with Jeff Danilek on the 1897 Airship Mystery with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com.
Fate Magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fate Magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Gold isn't for you? Ted Anderson, president of Midas Resources, one of the world's premier gold and precious metal investing firms. I get it. You wouldn't buy gold if you believed that the government is doing a great job, that the Fed will stop handing out trillions of dollars like bailout candy, that Social Security would be there for you. That's not what's happening. You might even pass on gold if the stimulus package wouldn't fuel inflation, or that the dollar wouldn't lose value, or that your retirement would be secure. If all looks rosy to you, then now is not the time to buy gold. For the realist, there have never been more sobering reasons to diversify with gold. Since 2001, the U.S. dollar index has tanked 30% while gold has risen 300%. Right now, savvy investors are adding gold to their portfolios. You should, too. Find out what they know. Call us and I'll send you 10 reasons why gold will do very well, free. 800-686-2237. 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Smokers, are you still smoking traditional cigarettes? Are you still smelling up your clothes and car interior, staining your teeth, and getting ashes everywhere? Why? When you could be smoking or vaping with e-cigarettes by LaSig. With LaSig e-cigarettes revolutionary microelectronic technology, rechargeable battery, and unique replacement cartridges, you'll get all the satisfaction of smoking, but no smoking hazards. Choose from a wide variety of our new American-made Vapriate e-liquid flavors at LaSig.com, spelled L-E-C-I-G.com, or call 870-518-4307. That's 870-518-4307. LaSig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker. Warning, e-cigs may contain nicotine, an addictive substance known to the state of California to cause birth defects or cancer. Please be aware of the risks associated with e-cigs prior to use. You must be 18 years or older to purchase. Big Berkey water filters are in high demand. Storable foods are also in high demand. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has always kept our focus on the Berkey water filter products. But increasingly, our customers have been asking for storable foods. After months of research, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com now offers great-tasting, long-lasting, storable foods. These ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches. All you do is just add water. And because they're sealed so well, they come with a 25-year shelf life. Combine our Berkey water filters, which are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water with our storable foods, and you have a winning combination. Remember, we offer free shipping on every order over $50, and GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY today. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And if you'd like to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com. 
or check us out at iTunes. Aha, mysteries, big and small. And we're talking now with Jeff Danilek about the great airship mystery of 1897. And the question on the table here, well, you know, where's the wreckage? There had to be wreckage. There had to be blueprints. There had to be something. Well, you know, in Colorado here, we've had airplanes go down over the years. And we even knew roughly where they went down. And 20, 30 years later, they still can't find the wreckage. And we even knew there was an airplane and where, roughly where it went down. We still can't find it. So I think that it's not... Yeah, but that's one area. That's a specific part of the country. There are a lot of parts like that. But if these things are flying over urban areas. There had well, to be no, something well, somewhere. Yeah, well, I mean, it was, it was flying occasionally over urban areas, but mostly over rural areas and fairly remote areas. Most of these reports came out of, by farmers and people like that, ranchers. So if it did go down, it could have gone down into a lake. It could have been easily uh, covered over with growth, and nobody ever found it. Uh, there was an airplane that was uh, flying from France to America about the same time Lindbergh crossed the ocean, and then, uh, it was called the Bluebird. And it left France, it had two pilots on it, they never found it. They think it made it to Nova Scotia and crashed there. And people have been looking for this thing for years and years and years. have never been able to find any evidence of this, this airplane. Okay, so, we understand the aircraft crashes. What about the plans? What about someone leaving in a diary information for their heirs saying, hey, you know, before I died, I developed this airship and it flew. It crashed. It didn't make it. But it, here's the plans. Here's my theory. <laughs> my theory is that once this thing crashed, the banker behind the thing, the financier behind it, lost his investment. He also was putting himself up to lawsuits, essentially. I think it would have made more sense to just kind of hide the whole thing, hide the vouchers, all the stuff that he had with it. I say that this guy may have been from San Francisco. Maybe he did keep blueprints. Maybe he kept all kinds of working drawings in a chest somewhere in his attic. Well, what happened in San Francisco in 1906? Okay, we understand. The earthquake and fire, right? Things so got a little bit shook up. Were burned. Yeah, it got, it got destroyed in, in the 1906 fire and earthquake. It wouldn't be, take much. Well, okay, but that's assuming it's like San Francisco. Well, right, that's assuming the guy's from San Francisco. Why do we assume that? Why them, do you even hmm? come up with that kind of theory? Right. Well, the reason San Francisco makes sense is because that was really the wealth center of the West Coast at that time. There was no other city that came even close to the number of millionaires and, and people like that who lived there. Other, you know, you'd have to go to New York or Chicago to find a similar number of wealthy people. So basically, if you're working in the Midwest or the West and you want someone to fund some kind of development, you go to San Francisco, you, you know, wire Paladin San Francisco and you say, give me $100,000, I want to build a spaceship or something. Yep, that's what I would do. That's the place I would go. I mean, uh, it, it, and that's the major port. It's the major railhead. So all the supplies and stuff that you needed from the East Coast, you already have access to that. Uh, it just made sense to me that that's where it would start. Plus, at the time, California was still remote enough, most of it, that you could set up a dirigible hangar somewhere out in the woods, and you would never find it. Not, not many people would see it. Unlike the East Coast, where, you know, if you tried to build anything, everybody would know about it. So you're saying basically all this could have happened over this year period or other years, and we may never, ever be able to find any evidence of it, except purely by accident. Someone's attic, someone's basement. 
Oh, sure. You know, and, and maybe the people that worked on it, some of them, maybe when they were older, they told stories to their kids about when they worked on the great airship. And the kids said, oh, you know, Grandpa's telling stories again. Uh, Grandpa's you know, in the silly happened. phase. You know, he's a silly old man. And remember, too, people sure. didn't live as long then. So Grandpa That's then right. might be 50 years old, not 75. You know, and this lawyer could have sworn them all to silence, to secrecy. Listen, you say anything about what we were working on here, and, you know, I'll go after you, you know, legally. Looking at society so, then, now nowadays when great developments occur, aircraft, it's always the government or almost always the government. Mm -hmm. What about the government of 1897, the military? Were they interested in scientific stuff? Yeah, they were always looking at technology, but they didn't build anything themselves. You know, everything that the, the military came up with, somebody had, some civilian had invented it. The government just didn't fund these things back then. They didn't have the resources. Uh, if you came up with something interesting, they wanted to see what you were doing, and they might buy it from you, but they weren't going to develop. It's kind of like some so, political um, movements nowadays which say, the government should do nothing, we should hand it off to private industry. It's like going back 110 years in time. Well, yeah, private industry was really all there was until recent times. Actually, if you think about it, even today, the government doesn't really make anything. Everything that we put in the space, all of the, the weapons that we buy, those are all built by private contractors. So even yeah. today, the government yeah. Wait a minute. The government's, the government's sure making a lot of people angry. <laughs> yeah, it, it, makes, it makes people mad, but it doesn't make stuff. Right. What well, well. it does is it contracts with private industry to build it. The design is funded. The prototypes are funded, whatever. Yeah, today especially, the government will go ahead and give out contracts to build something to a particular specifications. But in the early years, they would just shop around like anyone else. And if somebody had built an airplane or something that looked like it had military applications, the government would go ahead and purchase them. And then they might, at some point, specify a type of airplane they wanted, and then they would have a bunch of different companies competing for it, and then they would purchase from whichever one won the competition. Okay, looking back at 1897, the airships, it sort of erupts in 1897, although maybe there were some glimmers of other things happening before then, and then it stops completely? Mm -hmm. Pretty much. There was a few uh, stories going all the way into the late summer of 1897, but most of them pretty well came to an end about April or May of that year. All right, so it was just a few months and it's gone. Okay. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's what leads me to believe that this is a real event. Uh, were it a mythology or some kind of a, a legend, it would, it would have legs of its own that would take it for years, probably. But it just, you know, it died as quickly as it began, which suggests a real story behind all of the, uh, behind all the reports. So conventional science, what do they say about 1897, if anything? Well, they usually uh, either assume it was a hoax, newspaper uh, stories, uh, or uh, it was mass hysteria. People uh, heard about these lights. They went out. They saw something in the sky. They got excited and called the, you know, the paper and told them that they saw an airship. Uh, certainly, that was a degree of that. But one thing I point out in my book is that people in 1897 were probably more aware of what was in the night sky than we are today. Remember, there wasn't a lot of lights back then, so people had a really good view at night. They understood, you know, they could see the Milky Way. They knew Venus. They knew Saturn. They were very uh, aware of what was up in the night. So sky. if they saw something, they wouldn't mistake it for Venus. They knew what Venus was. We had pollution, obviously, what, yeah. in the 1890s, sure. but people, yeah, they, they there was knew no TV what, set, what Venus was. no radio. Exactly. 
what people do today who aren't really watching, you know, they don't know much about astronomy or the stars. They get a very bright Venus low on the horizon, and they're driving their car through the woods, and this thing looks like it's following them. Well, I'll tell you what, someone's going to follow us if we don't do this break. With Jeff Danilek, you don't know about those people who follow us. With Gene and Chris, you're following the Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then... A coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S. Dot com. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. I have bought a few bottles of heart and body extract and have to say that it, it certainly does work. That's what Jack from Michigan had to say after his experience with heart pain and what he did to treat it with heart and body extract. I actually had a huge heart flutter. I was also having some edema around my ankles and very worrisome clot in my uh, right leg that would happen from time to time while I was trying to sleep. Heart and Body Extract is all natural with no negative side effects. It will help repair or correct past problems associated with the heart and body circulation. After my second bottle of Heart and Body Extract, all problems are now gone. Order at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305. I ordered a third bottle of Heart and Body Extract for maintenance as I want to keep everything working. Order Heart and Body Extract at 866-295-5305 or hbextract.com. Heart and Body Extract for a long and healthy life. Hi, this is Alex Jones. This holiday season, more than half of our nation is in need of help due to the shattered economy. So now is the time to express the holiday spirit more than ever. Consider helping those you love with the most important gift, a supply of delicious, easy to fix, and very storable foods from eFoodsDirect.com. Their holiday gift and family pack start at $99 for a 16-day supply. While their five-week supply of quick and easy-to-fix meals includes a personal backpack in case of a grab-and-go emergency. Order their combo gift pack and you'll save hundreds, plus get free shipping on your entire order. Call eFoods today at 800-409-5633 or visit them online at eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex to find the special. That's 800-409-5633 or eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. You can bet your life on eFoodsDirect. Warning, this content is powerful and may cause others to reject your knowledge. If you want to know what happened to America, if you like cutting-edge information, if you need to convince someone that something different than what they believe is actually taking place, and to experience the true history of America you won't find anywhere else, 
Get the new book, Satan's Show. Satan's Show is a hard-hitting look at what many know as the Antichrist and proof of a mind-control agenda. Learn how America was tricked into entering World War I and get over nine hours of audio and over 700 reliable web links. Satan's Show is available in ebook and audio downloads. Click the special offer for $14.99 and you'll receive both, plus Operation Northwoods on audio free with purchase. Download today at satanshow.com. You will be shocked. You will be amazed. satanshow.com. Hi, this is Ted Phillips listening to the Paracast, and it's as good as it gets, believe me. With Gene and Chris here in the Paracast. And no, to answer the question of what we were talking about before this part started, I was not singing, nor do I pretend to sing about anything except for my supper so I can get something to eat. We're talking about the great 1897 airship mystery with Jeff Danilek. Maybe it wasn't a mystery. Maybe it was just somebody really smart, some smart people developing airships, and that was it. And the invention came and went, a singular event. And then within a few years, we had real heavier-than-aircraft. But do you think if there was any psychic element to this, this served as the precursor again, the announcement heralding the future development in the near few years? Yeah, I think people were uh, really excited about technology back then. Today we're fairly lackadaisical about it. We have come to, you know, we expect so much of it now that we don't even think twice. But back then all this stuff was, gee whiz, isn't that cool? So people were aware uh, that uh, uh, it was only a matter of time before man learned to fly. And they were anticipating that. And, of course, balloons had been around since the 1700s. You know, the first hot air balloon flew in 1783. So people were already aware that man had uh, flown before. But in terms of uh, heavier-than-air flight, that was something that was still the, the things that made it possible. Mercedes, then. They invented the car, what, in 1889 or something? Well, they had some actual experimental electric cars back in the late 1880s. But, yeah, you're, you're right. The first uh, real true cars didn't come out until about 1897, 1898. That period of time, right, in between, say, 1895 and 1905 was uh, an amazing period of growth and, and just this burst of creativity all over the world. Uh, aviation, submarines, uh, everything you can think of really got its, uh, got going about that time. If you didn't want to live to 45. Yeah, and if you didn't want clean water, clean air, stuff like that, you know, then that was, a, that was the time to live. Well, okay, there is that. Not that I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Chris, let's explore the edges of this. Well, when I look at, at waves of, of activity that seem to be out of place, out of time, one of the things that I always am most interested in is the effect that it has on culture. Looking, you know, researching this subject uh, to the extent that you have, have you looked into the repercussions of this airship wave in the perception of the public? Did it lead to a, 
a series of books or was there any sort of effect of it reverberating through culture? You mentioned before that if it had been some sort of hoax or fanciful thinking that we would have seen it, uh, uh, as you put it, uh, grow legs and, and continue on and on. But the fact that it seems to have just dropped off uh, is interesting to me. And I'm wondering if there were any effects of this particular sighting wave in the culture in terms of uh, literary works or, you know, we're, we're even getting into the early movies uh, within 10 years at that point. Uh, so just, you know, did you stumble on anything? Uh, did, did you see any outbreaks of these types of events in other countries, for instance? No, I do not recall. really. It seemed, to, it seemed to be a uniquely American uh, phenomena. Um, and I think that people uh, didn't see it as being anything that amazing. You remember, you're right, it was right on the heels of uh, Zeppelin's uh, airships flying in 1900. So there wasn't really enough time for it to develop a mythology. And it wasn't, uh, to most people's way of thinking, it wasn't as big an event as we would probably make it out to be today. Uh, also remember that this was kind of in the aftermath of H.G. Wells and Orson. All their stuff came out, the War of the Worlds. So people were already used to thinking in terms of, of outer space and, and technological advances of all kinds. Um, so anyway, that's one reason I thought that this was more likely a terrestrial event, just because people did not seem to blow it out of proportion as much as we would do today. Yeah. What about UFO sightings in general? Do we have much activity during that period? I'm speaking of UFOs separate from the airships. Um, unidentified flying objects. Well, there was very few reports that I have found from that era. Um, there are actually some interesting accounts from you know uh, Roman days. You know, the ancient Roman Empire, the Greeks. Some of these people have reported uh, seeing things in the sky. But in terms of the Old West, uh, and Americans specifically, I didn't see a lot of that. And part of the reason for that probably is just the remoteness of the region. It was, uh, you know, you saw something like that, reported it, the chances are it wasn't going to get very far. Probably just, you know, your own local paper would report it, maybe. And that was going to be as far as it got. It usually wasn't picked up and spread around the country like things are today. We have a sighting in, you know, in Arizona at Phoenix, you know, and, and within three hours everybody knows about it and it's on YouTube. Back then you had a sighting and uh, it would be weeks before it was reported and probably nobody would care after that. Well, I was mentioning before you came on, there was a sighting this week in Scottsdale, Arizona, which is northeast of Phoenix, as many of our listeners know, and it was at a high school football game. People took movies of it. Didn't look like anything more than some lights in the sky, but listen, you know, look how quick that gets out. Oh, exactly. And also there was some video taken at uh, an NFL game, uh, I think a couple of weeks sure. ago. Uh, it was just a quick shot of a couple of things uh, streaking by um, that nobody really saw at the time they shot it, but, you know, when they looked back over the footage, they could see that something is, is definitely there. And, to you know, to this day, we still don't know what it was, but those things could be all over the place. Well, I have talked, and other people have talked, about the so-called publicity flap, which is a UFO case gets some prominence. People start looking at the skies and see more things. 
The press reports stories they would not otherwise have reported because of the fact that there are other news events. And suddenly you have a lot of stories. But in the end, it's not necessarily that the signal is louder, but that we see it for a while and then we forget about it and the flap disappears. Not because there were more cases, but because we were talking about them. Well, you know, like this summer. That's, that's possible, but I, I kind of disregard or discount this idea that if one person reports a UFO, suddenly everybody's seeing them. You know, we are uh, sophisticated enough that we're, you know, we're so used to aircraft and helicopters and things like that that we know largely when we see something unusual. Yes, but the other thing is so here, if you see it in the papers or you hear it on TV or you see it on YouTube, the sighting you already had, you're more inclined to report. You figure, well, they're not going to laugh about me. You've got these other people reporting it. Oh, yeah, that's true. That will bring people out uh, to, to talk about things that they wouldn't otherwise talk about. I've noticed that in my own research, that when uh, I talk to people um, about their experiences, after a while they will start confiding stuff in me that they probably wouldn't uh, volunteer up front. And it's just like uh, ghost stories. Everybody has a ghost story. You know, they may, they may say, I don't believe in ghosts, but as soon as you start asking them, do you, have you ever, you know, do you know anybody who's seen one, they always have a story. And I think it's a lot of times the same way with UFOs. They got the sighting, they took it in stride, or, well, with pilots, they don't want to report a UFO. You remember that scene in Close Encounters of the Third Kind where the air traffic mm-hmm. controller says, okay, do you want to report a UFO? And he says, no, 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 don't want to bother. They don't want to get involved. Yeah, yeah that, that's actually probably a pretty accurate oh, sure. uh, what actually happens. Um, and they are starting to come forward a little bit more nowadays. They're not quite as fearful, but I mean, back then people really could lose their jobs uh, coming out and reporting. They still home. can. I, I think you can. It's a little bit harder. You do have some you know, some legal ramifications and things if you fire someone for something like that. Well, then that. you go on cable but, news uh, and you say, "Here's my lawyer. He was fired because he saw something strange in the sky. This is a travesty." The airline gets bad publicity Mm -hmm. and they decide, you know what, we can't fire that person. That's what happens. That's the danger. Because no matter what you do, everybody will hear about it. Just like you're hearing this. We have Jeff Danilek. You're in the Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs. Convert from so many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. 
survival of the fittest. In any and all situations, survival is your number one priority. That requires being tough and thinking smart. And the folks at Freeze Dry Guy are going to help you do just that. They have a long-range patrol ration entrees, what they call the Brick Pack. When you're in survival mode, it is absolutely the best item for your survival pack or bug-out bag. You can go farther, faster, and carry more food with the LRP cold weather ration entrees. Not only do these long-lasting, durable entrees help sustain you or your family through the harshest environment or situation, they are by far the most delicious of their kind. No contest. With a variety of tasty entrees, you can't beat the LRP Brick Packs. Let Freeze Dry Guy help you in your survival situations. Go to freezedryguy.com. That's freezedryguy.com. Or call 866-404-3663. That's 866-404-FOOD. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today, complete with two Black Berkey elements for only $231, and the Berkey Guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey Light, the Berkey Guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey Guy at 1 886 3653. That's 1 886 3653. Or order online at goberkey.com. That's goberkey.com today. As we age, we lose both strength and muscle mass. Undamaged whey protein from grass-fed cows is nature's most powerful food to gain back lost muscle. Virtually all whey protein powders or drinks have been damaged during processing or are high in sugar. This damaged whey causes a significant loss in the ability of the body to build new muscle proteins. The high sugar content will stop all the benefits of your growth hormone from causing muscle repair. By giving your body easily absorbed, undamaged whey, free of added sugar, you may be able to gain back lost muscle and strength. One World Whey is truly undamaged whey protein powder free of added sugar. Both young and elderly are reporting increases in muscle strength and size without any additional exercise. Go to OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorldWhey.com to read or hear some impressive testimonies to this effect. Or call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. This is Kurt Southern, the author of UFO Mysteries, and you're listening to the Paracast. So as we continue, we're traveling back and forth through time from 1897 and beyond to see what was going on. You've been covering the paranormal scene for a number of years. And the question yeah, all is... Yeah, back to about 2003, 2004 is my, my, uh, when I first started uh, doing this kind of uh, this gig full-time. Sure, but um, why did you start originally? Well, you know, there's just... I guess I've always been curious about stuff like this. When I was a kid, I was into the Bermuda Triangle, Bigfoot, all that stuff. And it never really left me. As I got older, I was still interested in this stuff, and I still am today. 
Um, and I just found that uh, there was a lack of objectivity in this field. And I thought, well, you know, instead of complaining about that, why don't I go ahead and write my own books? And fortunately, I was able to find publishers to pick them up and things like that. And one thing led to another, and all of a sudden, I became uh, a quote-unquote expert in the field just by the, the mere fact that I you know, put a, a few books out and, and people read them. What is your background in terms of professional writing and otherwise? Well, I have no credentials really as a professional writer. I'm self-taught. Uh, I'm a graphic designer uh, by training, um, a Navy veteran. Uh, just start uh, writing uh, in my uh, late 30s, early 40s is when I started picking it up, just uh, kind of as a hobby, a relaxation. Um, and I, I think I, I have an ability, though, that uh, to, to, to look at something from both sides without necessarily discounting or, or believing in anything. And I think that's what's rare in this field uh, and why we need more people to do that kind of thing. I'm looking at your catalog, and I'm finding some really fascinating titles. And I want to throw just a couple of other things your way, in addition to 1897, and that is UFOs, The Great Debate. Now, mm-hmm. what areas do you cover in that book, and what kind of conclusions do you reach? Well, um, I, I spend a lot of time looking at the whole question of reverse engineering uh, alien technologies. You know, how possible is that? Is that something that really could be done uh, with our level of uh, scientific uh, ability today? Uh, so I spend a lot of time looking at that issue. Uh, I come to the conclusion that uh, we really couldn't reverse engineer these things uh, with our level of technology any more than a 19th century scientist could reverse engineer a nuclear submarine. Or an iPhone. Or an iPhone or a wristwatch, you know what I mean? If you don't have that technology base already in place, you can't do it. You can reverse something that's similar to what you already have. You could take a car from England and, you know, figure out how they put it together and make one like it in America. But that's a comparable technology. Or reverse engineer software, for example, do the same thing. So you don't think even if there was a Roswell crash that anybody was able to decode anything from that technology? No, I don't, I don't think it's possible, first of all. And I don't think that any civilization would be stupid enough to let us get our, their, our hands on that technology. They would have to have ways of recovering it or destroying it in, in situ. Uh, that's well, you, we mean, you mean big radar units in New Mexico weren't the cause of the Roswell crashes, uh, plural? <laughs> Now don't get me started on Roswell. That's that's an area that drives me nuts. You know what? Um, okay, so in as much as it drives you nuts, why does it drive you nuts? Because there is so little objectivity in this in this area. Nobody will listen to other explanations, or if they do, they just ignore them. And I think there's perfectly good explanations for what happened. Uh, in July, the present company excluded uh, with the nobody thing here. We we've looked at Roswell every which way but uh, loose. Nick Redfern, one of our former co-hosts, wrote <laughs> probably one of the most amazing books about the case, Body Snatchers in the Desert. But we agree with you that Roswell is should uh, dry up and, and blow away or something. I, Continue. I didn't mean to interrupt. Okay, but that's a good point here. So do you think it was balloons or a secret weapon or something? 
I uh, I think it was the mogul balloons. Um, I, I you know I'm a veteran myself, and I've been in the military for, for I was in the military for eight years. And I know kind of how they work, and they are secretive. They keep a lot of stuff away from people. But when they do kind of come forward, they generally don't make stuff up. They'll declassify something and say, okay, here's what it was. And then if you you either believe it or not believe it. But I just I just don't buy off on this whole government conspiracy. Let's hide all this stuff. You just couldn't do it. There's too many people involved. There's I mean it's been how, how many years now? It's like over 60, 70 years almost. How many thousands of people would have to come across this wreckage and these alien bodies and all this stuff uh, as part of the process and still keep it all a secret? It's just none of it holds together for me. What about all these interviews they're doing? They're always finding people who seem to have memories of their own or of those of a near relative. Now, the thing I always worry about here, whatever they want to say, is that you're going through 50, 60 years of time, you live an entire life, the culture has got to alter what you remember of your youth or your early 20s, your early adulthood. So how do we know what has colored what they're telling us now? We don't have the hard evidence. No, and even the, the eyewitness evidence, there's really no very few eyewitnesses. I don't think there's any living eyewitnesses. I think uh, Jesse Marcel's son is still alive, and he saw the wreckage. He touched the wreckage. Which looks suspiciously, yeah, like, but what looks suspiciously like a mogul balloon. But the other thing I noticed about this story is that some of the original elements of it, the bodies that were seen being taken away and the different groups that came upon the, the flying saucer and all this stuff, turns out to have been hoaxed. Even though it's been discredited, the story itself is kind of woven into the rest of the story and still stays there. So people will still, these elements are still there in the story, even though the person who originally told them has been discredited. And it's, it's almost like people so badly want this to be true that they don't care what the source of the information is. As long as it fits that, that paradigm, they're going to incorporate it into the story, and it just keeps growing and growing. Now there's three crash sites in Roswell. There's not just the one at Corona, but there was other two places where pieces of the wreckage came down and bodies were found, et cetera, et cetera. And there's also Aztec, so New Mexico, story, and there's a book that supposedly is going to be out one of these years. It's what we call a vaporware book from Scott Ramsey, and he's been on the show. He's a decent guy. He's sincere in his research. He's working with Frank Warren and other people. The question I have is, though, okay, you have the evidence. Get the book out. Let's see what it contains. Let's evaluate it, good, bad, or ugly. Mm-hmm. And it just never comes out. You know, there's the, the disclosure project. These people, they had this big uh, to-do in Washington where they carted out some celebrities. They said, you know, we've got, we've got the goods on the government and nothing, you know. And they just never come forward and produce this stuff. They say they have it. They know people who have it but they never really do. So your contention and, is, Jeff, that there is no silence group, that regardless of the reality of UFOs or lack thereof, the government probably doesn't know anything much about it, and they're not keeping anything a secret other than stuff that might reflect on national security. By and large, that would be my position. Yeah, I do believe that they probably know some things, uh, that they haven't released in terms of uh, maybe they've got some all that gun camera footage, gun camera all the, all, stuff like that. Sure. Yeah, and all uh, the NORAD uh, tracks. 
you got to also think about this for a second, that it, we may have caught it on certain types of satellites that are top secret in themselves. And by revealing this information, we actually reveal the capabilities of these satellites. So that would be another reason why we may not be able to, to talk about stuff. But the, the military is, is not particularly good with keeping secrets any, any more than anyone else is. Because people, once they get out of the military, there's nothing to prevent them from talking about what they what they saw, what they experienced, uh, you know. So it, it's very well, difficult. Well, security oaths are security oaths. I mean, if you sign a security oath, it's for, you know, in perpetuity unless otherwise rescinded. Of course, if someone's very old, it doesn't matter. What are they going to say? I'm 85 years old. Go pick me up. Make my day. Sure, absolutely. There's, there's a lot of people who, uh, if they really knew something, they're going to tell you. Um, and the government's probably not going to do much about it. I, I worked yeah, on Phil, top of secret course, projects. Uh, I worked on top secret projects uh, with Lockheed Martin. You know, I don't talk about them, but I think if I did, I don't think anybody would come to my door one day and. and you don't want to chance it, do you? This is the Powercast. We let it all hang out. <laughs> come on, well, you know, lay it on us, man. To be honest with you, top secret stuff is boring. Okay, there's not much really that's that interesting. I don't even see why it's secret half of it. You know, but. That's just me. We almost got I mean, we almost Speaking got be, top, top Before secret, we go top, to top secret stuff, this show is going to be a secret if we don't do this break. We have Jeff Danilek. We start out with the 1897 airship mystery. We're focusing more general on UFOs, a lot more to cover. And you're hearing Gene and Chris because you must inevitably be in the Paracast. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, and Investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. I have no idea what Chris is doing, ladies and gentlemen. I just want to make it very clear. I'm Gene Steinberg. He's Chris O'Brien. Sounds like a TV show that was on many years ago. I'm Dickens, he's Finster. Remember that comedy show? All right. That's yeah, a little before our time. It's before you? your time. Nothing is before my time. Because I was here before the dinosaurs ruled the earth, you know, in Terra Nova. Jeff Danilek, author and, quote, all-around near-do-well. Why do you call yourself a near-do-well? A near-do-well? 
because I challenge the, the conventional wisdom on a lot of different areas, uh, whether it's uh, paranormal, whether it's spirituality, religion, uh, and as a uh, result, people find me sometimes controversial. Uh, okay, I'll tell you what. Promise. I'll tell you what. Let's really move in that direction here. Yeah. Okay, so Roswell. You brought it up. Sure. We take Roswell, toss it out. You don't dig Roswell. You don't think it. Yeah, nothing special about Roswell. Okay. If you had to give one or two UFO sightings that prove there's at least something weird going on, what would you cite? Um, I think one of the the best documented UFO uh, encounters happened over Belgium in 1991. And this was a big triangular vehicle that was seen by many, many people uh, over a number of hours. It was chased by NATO aircraft. It was recorded on radar. It was recorded on uh, the aircraft's radar. And every time they would get in position to, uh, to observe it, it would take off. This one has so much information to support it that it's hard to imagine that this was all just a couple of pilots making a mistake in, identify, in identification. And to me, that one is extraordinary in just the amount of information contained within it and, and verifiable information, all the way from power tapes to uh, aircraft transmissions and the, the, just the radar paintings. So, so to me, that is the best one out there. My, my premise in my book is that I do believe extraterrestrials are watching us. I think that they are in orbit even now, and they're observing us. They're studying us the way we would study gorillas. They're watching what, what we do, how we react to certain things, but I don't think they really intervene. You don't um, go for think, abductions. I, I'm very leery about that. I've met a gentleman who claims to have been abducted a number of times. You know, I, I listen to a story, it's intriguing, but I'm still trying to figure out the logic of doing it from an alien perspective. Uh, certainly, they would have the technology that if they just wanted to study us, our physiology, they could probably do it fairly easily. If they wanted to dissect a human, there's any number of people they could probably find uh, in some slum somewhere that nobody would miss. So I don't really understand why they come to somebody's house and drag them out kicking and screaming and, and do all kinds of things to them and then stick them back in their bed. To me, it just doesn't make sense uh, that they would do that level of interference. Some people have claimed maybe it's a genetic experiments, manipulations, but I'm still on the fence on that one. It's just I would need to see more evidence of that. So what's happening to these people? Well, I think some of it is just a uh, their imagination, uh, waking dreams, things like that. There was uh, a study done on Barney and Betty Hill, for example, uh, that they discovered that the characters that they described in their hypnosis sessions were very close to some characters that were seen on an Outer Limits episode uh, that aired about the, just a few months previous to their experience. So the question is, uh, did they have a real experience or were they influenced, maybe even subconsciously, by this program that they had watched um, and that just came out in that form. Like I said, I don't know. I suppose it's possible that extraterrestrials are abducting some people, but I can't believe they're abducting the many, many hundreds of people who make these claims around the world. Seems it clumsy. A little bit hard. It does. It seems like a really bad way to do things. And if you're really going to do this, and, and you would wipe the memory completely, they shouldn't be able to even recall it in hypnosis. You'd think their technology would be better than that. It seems that the UFO knots or whatever they are, 
always seem to have technology that's just a couple of steps ahead of us. Of course, it could be some kind of general spiritual experience that people interpret in accordance with the current society. That's another one of these paranormal mysteries that people have experiences and if they're steeped in ET, that's what they see. If they're steeped in leprechauns, that's what they see. Yeah, that's actually an interesting theory because back in the 1800s, people would talk about the uh, you know these creatures that would come in the middle of the night, the succubus and the incubus, and these were very similar kind of uh, abduction stories. These people would be paralyzed with fear in their bed, and this demon thing would appear, and that's how they interpret. They interpret in supernatural, quasi-religious sort of jargon, whereas today we use more extraterrestrial jargon because that's where we're at. So you know there could be some psychological component to it. But then again, I'm open to the possibility that there's something really happening out there. I just want to see more evidence of it. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, we will have an abduction roundtable on the Paracast in the near future. Abductees, researchers, a lot more. So we will go into this ground and see what's going on. So as far as you're concerned, the abduction scenario is another issue. It's the UFOs that we have to deal with. Now, what about the alternate theories about UFOs? You think it's ET, maybe they're orbiting us, whatever. What about alternate dimensions? What about UFOs that are sourced on Earth, a hidden civilization? What about that stuff? Well, it's hard to imagine that there would be uh, any place on Earth where you could have that kind of level of technology without being noticed. I mean, some Bottom people talk of the ocean. about yeah, UFOs being under the ocean and all this kind of thing like this. But And I think that's something that needs to be considered, however... Uh, it, it does strike me as being unnecessarily difficult. You know, you think about it, the, the spacecraft come here, what's the point of basing themselves under the water when they can just remain in orbit, invisible to us, uh, all, the, all they want? So, I mean, what's the real payoff of coming down here into the water? Uh, if it's a homegrown civilization, I mean, my gosh, there's got to be some kind of evidence of it at some point. Uh, but up to now, I, I mean, they're, they're really good at hiding if they're, if they're there. I don't know. Now, as far as alternate dimensions, you know, I mean, what do you do with that? That's purely speculative. There's no way to prove it or disprove it. So there's not really much value in exploring it because there's nothing you can do with it. What about the people, I, then, who claim to have met physical beings, not just abductions, but they claim to have met some kind of alien being of one sort or another, are they all making this up? Well, I don't think there's a lot of people who are just out and out hoaxing, where they're just saying, you know, let's have some fun and make up this story, because there are some repercussions to doing that. But I do think that there are fantasy-prone personalities. There are people who can convince themselves of all kinds of things, and they get very worked up about it. To, to a person who's, uh, you know, a little paranoid, these things are very, very real to them. Uh, you know, and, and they, they're not seeing this as a fantasy or a, their imagination. They're seeing this as a very real thing that's happening. So um, I think that a lot of these people, uh, you know, God bless them, but they probably are, are having some delusional experiences. Not all of them. Perhaps there's some real, some real valid things going on there. But, again, want to see the evidence. That's all I'm asking. Okay, about. let's look at another possibility here. What about some degree of government intervention? You know, they experiment with giving people drugs and LSD, maybe fake a few abductions, maybe create some that something that involves the perception of UFOs with some secret aircraft. 
Okay, the, that's that's a possibility, but then again, why? What, what's the uh, what's the premise? What's the payoff? Okay, what was the payoff of feeding people LSD? They did that. I think they wanted to see exactly how it was going to affect uh, you know uh, reaction times, how it was going to affect your mental capacities, the things of this. They were still very experimental. Once they understood how dangerous it was, they backed off on it. But at, you know, early on, there really wasn't a lot of knowledge about what these things did. And they wanted to see if it had any, you know, beneficial effects. Um, government will do things like that to its own detriment. But in terms of, of faking uh, an alien abduction, I just, I don't see that. Uh, however, here's another possibility to consider. What if the aliens themselves are inducing these experiences as a psychological experiment? I'll tell you what, alien psychological experiments and more. Uh, we're talking to like that we're talking one. to Jeff Danilek with Gene and Chris. We're doing this experiment. It's called the Paracast. Are you ready to order the official Paracast t-shirt? You asked, we answered. We're now taking orders for the official Paracast t-shirt. It comes in white, 100% cotton. The front of it features the same logo that we have on our community forums. On the back it says, separating signal from noise. To order the official Paracast t-shirt, here's all you have to do. Visit our new online store at store.theparacast.com. One more time, that's store.theparacast.com. You can use a major credit card to place your order for the official Paracast t-shirt. Hey, neighbors, we have one more thing to talk about, and that's more merchandise at the official Paracast store. We have hats, we have jackets, we even have a flip video camcorder customized with the Paracast logo at the official Paracast store. It's all now available at the official Paracast store, store store.theparacast.com. Have you ever felt like the United States government knows way too much about your financial affairs? I continue to hear stories about property seizures, frozen bank accounts, confiscation of stocks and bonds. It makes me wonder if the U.S. citizen will ever again have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unfortunately, with the Drug and Money Laundering Act, the IRS Revenue Ruling 6045 of 1984, and the Trading with the Enemy Act and Franklin D. Roosevelt's Executive Order of 1933, some precious metal holdings are subject to government intervention. For this reason, Midas Resources has prepared a report explaining the boundaries of trading precious metals privately. Whether if you have any intention of trading with Midas Resources or not, I have instructed my representatives to give this report out free. Call for your free copy at 1-800-686-2237. When investing, always proceed with caution. Again, call 1-800-686-2237. Exercise your legal right to trade metals privately. 1-800-686-2237. What nutrition are you missing that's leading to the four major diseases? cancer, arthritis, heart disease, and Parkinson's. There are at least 80,000 medical studies that show a lack of the protein glutathione to be linked to cancer, heart disease, Parkinson's, macular degeneration, lung disease, digestive diseases, diabetes, Alzheimer's, ALS, rheumatoid arthritis, and lupus. In all, at least 68 diseases. What is the number one food by which your body is most empowered to increase its glutathione production? It is undamaged whey protein from grass-fed cows. One World Whey is truly the first undamaged whey protein. All other whey protein powders are damaged by heat, chemicals, and filtration. One World Whey is the most life-giving whey protein powder ever produced. 
Call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorldWhey.com. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic... Hi, Ted Anderson announcing a great way to listen to radio. Hi, this is Ted... Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner and download before you know it. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And if you'd like to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com. Or check us out at iTunes. So, alien psychologists, Jeff, you think they're involved in pulling a few tricks here to see how we primitive tribal beings react? I like well, that yeah. one. I think that the, think about the, the crop circles when they first came out before people started copying them. And it would be fairly easy for them to create something like that, using electromagnetic energy, just create a crop circle, and then sit back and see what, what are they going to do about it. Well, it's fascinating. We, we, we copy them. We have contests to see who can make the best crop circles. I think that tells them a lot about us. And so how hard would it be to induce these experiences, even if it's not a real experience? It can all be completely done in the mind. Uh, I re- I, I, uh, in my book on, on UFOs, I talk about a story of a woman in Australia who claimed to be an abductee. And she uh, had a couple of gentlemen who were with a local UFO organization ride with her to this point where she, this place where she says she gets abducted. While she was sitting there in the car with them, she started to recount this whole abduction experience. She was telling them, they're taking me, they got me in their ship, they're doing this and doing that. And these guys are sitting here watching her have this experience. She has her left the car, nothing's going on, but to her it was very realistic. And I wonder if the aliens don't have this ability to put these, these things into our brain on a couple of select people just to give them the experience of the abduction just to see how they react to it. It's, it's an intriguing possibility. That's creative thinking. I like that. Well, you know, I, I think that the aliens, they want to do more than just observe. They also want to see what we do in certain circumstances because I think they are prepping us eventually for contact. And in order to do that, you really need to know what we would do. Of course, it's a and very so slow preparation process, isn't it? It is. It, it's, it's a lengthy process. And I don't think they're in any great hurry. You know, these people have probably been out there for hundreds or thousands of years, and they're going to take their time. There may be all, also more than one group. 
that are studying us. Some of them are still you know, early on in their studies, and others have almost completed their studies. Maybe they're just not good at sharing information. So you know, it could be a lot of things like that happening. Okay, so we have the alien psychological experts trying to see what kind of stuff they can do with the primitive earthlings. And it's part of maybe of a long-term plan. But the other thing here is, how can all this go on and the government not recognize it? I mean, if UFOs are real, don't you think there are people within the government smart enough to realize we've got a pretty strange mystery going on here. We've got to figure out what it is. Yeah, maybe they have. Well, you know, that's possible. But my impression uh, of the government is that, you know, it's got its plate full with everyday things that it's probably not putting a lot of uh, a lot of mental energy into aliens they're too busy um, I, passing bills that say in god we trust which is already on the dollar bill precisely doing stuff like that you know the, the government if you really look at it is largely you know incompetent and <laughs> which is why i don't really think it's capable of of holding those kinds of secrets for long or figuring those things out it kind of follows the crowd uh, if it's ever, I think if uh, extraterrestrials ever contact us, they're not going to contact the government. They're probably going to contact some uh, civilian scientific organization or something like that, and they're going to just bypass governments completely and and just go right straight to the the people who matter. Um, so so, I mean, so are, wait a minute, are, are you talking? They're going to contact Stephen Greer? <laughs> oh my God, no! I hope not, because no one's going to believe them if they do. <laughs> well, you know, you bring up a good point, and, um, you know, one of the things that I uh, I go back and forth with uh, quite a bit is this idea of how much does the government actually know. We had John Alex uh, retired Colonel John Alexander on the show a couple of months back, and that's, you know, he said, hey, I, I was an insider. I tried my darndest. I had a good group of, of, of you know, inquiring minds uh, inside uh, the beast, and we looked and looked and looked, and we really couldn't find any sort of clearinghouse, any sort of centralized point where this information appeared to be, you know, held secret. That's not saying that it's not. I mean, we're talking about an industrial complex that on September 10th, uh, 2001, Donald Rumsfeld, after doing, you know, a complete audit of the Department of Defense, says, we're missing $2.2 trillion. That's a lot of dough. And you can do a lot of things with, with, with that dough. And if there is some sort of national security element to the whole UFO question that's being kept on the QTs, shall we say, you better believe, uh, and I hope they're smart enough to marshal the resources and at least look at this subject and monitor it very closely. I, I agree with you. I think the rank and file of the government doesn't know that it has a left hand, and if it did, it would probably tattle on it. But, um, you know, again, this whole idea of the government not being able to, to, to hold secrets, that's n not necessarily uh, so. But, hey, I could well, be wrong. Like I said, I flip-flop back and forth on this one. It, it also, you're also assuming that the extraterrestrials uh, don't have the ability to really stay hidden. You know, they, they probably can uh, be overhead right now, and you'd never know it. They can bend light. They, you know, we already have stealth technology. They're hundreds of years ahead of us. They have a cloaking device. So well, essentially, a, a cloaking, yeah. I mean, it's not how difficult would it be to bend light. Probably there are technologies they're using that we will eventually develop, 
And we'll say, well, this is fairly simple. Now we understand how, how this stuff works. I wonder why we didn't use it earlier. It just it seems so you know so simple now. And well, I think strong enough magnetic field's going to bend light. So I mean, we know that already. So mm -hmm. it's just a matter of bringing. We, the thing is, there's a lot of things we could do that we just don't have the technology to do it yet. It just hasn't caught up to our ideas. Uh, you know, we already understand like travel through wormholes and things like this, but we just don't have you know warp engines and all that kind of stuff that lets us do it. And we're not likely to for quite a while yet. So a lot right, of we can't harness we, harness the power of a star to uh, to you know do our will. Right, exactly. And these people apparently can. And these these extraterrestrials have that ability, and they had it for a long time. So I think that they're perfectly capable of remaining hidden from us for as long as they want. So when they do appear, that may be part of their psychological testing you know let's let's show up and see what they do let's let's see how they react well quick question jeff uh, what's the motivation well, if they're so far advanced of us advanced uh, beyond us aren't we kind of like ants in an ant farm i mean what are we some science project for you know some young alien somewhere maybe we're part of some sort of uh, software program that's been developed by some you know alien kid or or a kid in the 15th dimension i mean no, my, what's my, the motivation my, my, my suspicion is to get us used to the idea of extraterrestrials. So when they do finally contact us, there won't be that shock. But why would they spend 2,000 years doing it? Well, the first couple of thousand years, I think that we were just so primitive that there was, it really was just a, uh, like studying ants in a bottle. But now that they know we're at the point where we've developed well, back then weapons. they were gods. They came down and threw thunderbolts and said, bow down before me and give me your first meal before blah, blah, blah. Zod. <laughs> and we're talking with Jeff Danilek. <laughs> you like that, huh? You're talking to Gene and Chris, not Zod, because you're in the Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are... The GCN Radio Network. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs. Convert from so many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. With new financial dominoes falling each day, do you know who really runs this country? This is Alex Jones with a special message about the gangster economy. Folks, if you're lucky enough to have a little money set aside for a rainy day, this could be the most important message you'll ever hear. I want to tell you about an exciting new book that reveals how to keep the gangster economy from murdering your money. That's right, murdering your money. Learn about the 14 vicious dominoes of destruction set to unleash hell on earth for savers and investors. Learn the 11 ways to play gangster economy judo and win. Learn how to beat the bad guys at their own game. 
Learn ingenious ways to profit in the new gangster economy. To read more about this amazing new book, don't wait. Go to GangsterEconomy.com. That's GangsterEconomy.com. Don't let the bad guys destroy your money. Go to GangsterEconomy.com. If you constantly feel run down and tired, your pH level might be low and your body could be full of toxins. If what you drink is not at a pH level of 8 or higher, you are inviting bacteria and acid to thrive in your body. But there is something you can do. Simply add 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH drops to your water to help your body rid itself of acidic waste, increase oxygen, and raise your pH balance to optimum levels. AlkaVision Plasma pH drops combine a unique formula of the most alkaline minerals in the world. Alkalizing the water you drink, ridding your body of acidic waste and toxins, and helping you regain energy and vibrant health. And studies show viruses, bacteria, and toxins cannot survive in an alkaline, high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH drops at AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 269-409-1776. 269-409-1776. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com today. Big Berkey water filters are in high demand. Storable foods are also in high demand. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has always kept our focus on the Berkey water filter products. But increasingly, our customers have been asking for storable foods. After months of research, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com now offers great-tasting, long-lasting, storable foods. These ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches. All you do is just add water. And because they're sealed so well, they come with a 25-year shelf life. Combine our Berkey water filters, which are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water with our storable foods, and you have a winning combination. Remember, we offer free shipping on every order over $50, and GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY today. So the aliens are really called Zod. They're a new race of aliens called the Zod. I might as well write a contact story about that. We have Jeff Danilek presenting a very down-to-earth view about what the heck is going on out there with Gene and Chris on the Powercast. So therefore, the aliens can look at this in a long-range way. They could arrive and see primitive earthlings, and maybe it's not the same people. We don't know how long they live. And they observe us over the centuries. And they decide, well, now they seem to be developing a modicum of intelligence. Let's play closer attention. Maybe we should land, or do they have a prime directive? Well, that's a good possibility. Uh, Consider the possibility that there are multiple races out there and that some of them are protector races. They actually say, look, you can observe, but don't touch. And they will enforce that. Think about it. What would we do when we develop extra, you know, interstellar capabilities and we start coming across these different civilizations like in Star Trek? I think that we would do much like that. We would say, okay, these areas are open to study, but you cannot make contact. But wait a minute. It's technology. Remember the Star Trek episode where they were observing the planet and their cloaking device failed and they 
<laughs> they got caught with their pants down, and and they they seriously impacted the civilization that they were studying because they inadvertently, because of a malfunction, uh, revealed their presence. Remember that episode? Yeah, that was a good episode and an interesting idea. Hopefully, the aliens are a little more confident than that. <laughs> you know, they so radar didn't bring down the craft at Roswell is what you're is what I'm hearing here. I'm guessing not. No, it doesn't bring down our aircraft. I don't see why it would bring down theirs. <laughs> well, we have to assume that, of course, the aliens are weird. That's why we can bring them down. That's kind of dumb too. I don't accept that theory that they would be so primitive that our radar could bring them down. You know, I mean, think about it. Before you even uh, came into orbit, you probably already know a lot about us. You sent unmanned probes down here. You've you've uh, tested the atmosphere. You know exactly what we're what we're made of. So before they even approach us, they've already got a pretty good idea of what's uh, what this, you know what's going on down here. So well, uh, well, if that's the case, Jeff, then why do people still report landed craft occupants coming out? They walk around gathering plants and soil like they've never seen it before. What's up with that? Again, that comes to the reliability of the stories. You know, do you choose to believe them or not? I'm open to it, but that's just a story. You know, so I can't, you can't make any sort of a, a premise based on just a story like that. You have to have more, more of that. Well, there, there are stories that do have some physical evidence. There's, you know, some pretty compelling cases that would suggest they have some sort of weird collective amnesia. They forgot that they already came down and did, you know, standard procedures. I mean, it's obvious with the abduction phenomenon. I mean, how how, how many times you need to, uh, you know, sexually abuse somebody with machinery to, to understand, you know, what it is that you're looking for, for instance. So there's there's an absurdity factor that, that is, you know, sort of interwoven throughout all a lot of accounts and very credible accounts as well. I'm just wondering, again, my question from before, what would be the motivation? Well, uh, if, if we're talking multiple races, there could be races that are late to the show. And maybe they, you know, they have their, you know, the races are probably so, so different from one another that they may not even be able, even capable of sharing information. You know, they could have, you know, just not be able to communicate on any level. So they would have to do their own investigations. So, I mean, that's, that's another possibility there. You can speculate all night on what they're doing and why they do it, but, again, you're, it's just speculation. You, you can't really go anywhere with it. So there's no reason to assume that basically there's one club of ETs, one federation that comes down here, and they talk to each other. Not necessarily. I don't think so. I mean, some of them may be able to communicate amongst themselves, but the galaxy is so vast, you could have a, a, a huge stellar empire um, and not ever encounter another uh, sentient life form, you know, for, for hundreds and thousands of, of light years in any direction. Maybe they're fairly rare. Maybe there's not more than a, a dozen sentient star-bearing races out there. So who knows? You know, there's, we, we know nothing about our own galaxy. We're just beginning to yeah. scratch the surface. We just discovered that there's other planets, for heaven's sakes. We We're breathing on so, the tip of the iceberg at this point, but... One one thing that you know has always has has always sort of made me scratch my head about this whole thing is you know why do we as humans think we're important enough for anything out there to be remotely interested in in us? We're violent, we're primitive, we're misogynist. 
Um, we have very aggressive uh, tendencies uh, to the detriment of our fellow humans. We're very provincial and, and nationalistic and tribal. Why would something be interested in an unevolved species like us? My assumption is that they were once that way themselves. You know, uh, if we were to travel about the stars and we came across a, a civilization comparable to our own, uh, even though we're so much further advanced than that, we would still find it a source of fascination. We would still want to see how they develop, uh, if their development is parallel to our own. Did they develop the same way we did? Did they move in a different direction? Did, they, did their warlike tendencies eventually go away? Uh, people are constantly studying insects. They're studying ants. They're fascinated with these creatures of the earth. So I can't imagine that any extraterrestrial had any degree of curiosity at all. Well, there may also be a point here where civilizations reach a certain critical point at which they can go either of two ways. One, destroy the civilization. Two, move on. And maybe we're at that crux now. They look at the cusp of our development and maybe they're deciding if they should interfere and guide us, send Michael Rennie, Klaatu, down to visit us with Gort to destroy everybody, or just leave us alone. Who knows? Well, you know, we tend to think that uh, you know, destruction would be the end of everything, but you know, to us, we might be just one of many different cultures. If we destroy ourselves, they just make note of that in the log and move on to the next group. You know, <laughs> So we, we have a tendency to think that they're going to save us. Uh, but they may not. They might want yeah. to see uh, how, how well we do. Well, you're the one that said that they're going to come down and reveal themselves. I don't think that's ever going to happen, Jeff, myself. Definitely not well, in my lifetime. I suspect that, at, well, you're right, probably not in our lifetime, but consider that at some point we're probably going to begin to develop interstellar capabilities. And at some point they're going to need to, to let themselves be Well, wait a minute, not if it's up to Obama. Well, are we talking about in you know in the distant distant future? There's a Zephram Cochrane out there who's going to develop Star Drive, like in the Star Trek universe, sometime in the middle of the 21st century, after the entire planet has nearly destroyed itself. God, that you know, sounds prophetic. Science fiction has always been prophetic, hasn't it? You know, if you, if you look at the science fiction of the 19th century, so much of it's come true in this century. And it's almost as though uh, God has given us science fiction to sort of reveal a little bit about the future. And they're not getting it from E.T. We're just coming up with it ourselves. It's, it's uh, built into our genes, and we just uh, don't realize Okay, it. so let's look at the other end of it here. Do you think E.T. seeded us or manipulated us in one way or another? No, because that would destroy the whole uh, point of the experiment. If you're going to manipulate it, then you have, you're not going to learn anything. Okay, but even if they seeded us at the beginning, okay, or they uh-huh. did some genetic manipulation, then they sit back and let's see what this experiment does. Yo, yo, yo maybe we're just, we're just the experiment inside a Petri dish. <laughs> and we're just a cell in God's fingernail. Yeah, well, I remember, know. look at the movie uh, Men in Black, where they had an entire galaxy in a little bit of a <laughs> jewel case that's hanging from somebody's you know, it was neck. A, it was a, well, well, that too, but I, the one I liked was the, the bus station locker. You know, all hail, was it K? All hail K, all the little, little creatures inside the, uh, the locker in the bus station or the airport. This or is a tiny universe. And we're talking in this tiny universe with the near-to-well himself from Denver, 
Jeff Danilek. Neighbors, we want you to check out our newly updated forums. Go to forum.theparacast.com. That's forum.theparacast.com. A new, snazzier look, better integration with your favorite social networks. Check it out. I'm Gene. He's Chris. You're in the Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. You expect professional service from your doctor, your accountant, and even the girl who takes your morning coffee order. Why not from your domain registrar, too? Namecheap.com provides stellar service with no sneaky upselling. We offer more features and security options for your website than there are ways to order a latte. And new domains come with a WhoisGuard to protect your personal info. At Namecheap.com, you can get your domain for as low as $2.99. Now is a great time to get to know Namecheap.com. For 58 years, fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest in all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To receive your complimentary Fate magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. If you owe the IRS money you can't pay, then listen carefully, because you already know that the problem won't go away by itself. You can get help today from the leading tax expert in the country, Dan Pilla. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. The IRS isn't going to just forget about you. Right now, the IRS is hiring thousands of tax collectors to go after delinquent accounts just like yours. That's why you need to take action today, and I can help. I take a simple but proven approach to solving your tax debt problem. First, I stabilize collections so you don't have to worry about wage and bank levies. Next, I build a detailed plan to get your debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even eliminated. Finally, I work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. So call now for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. Dan Pilla will solve your tax problem guaranteed. He's helped thousands of people and he can help you too. Call us today at 800-346-6829. That's 800-34-NO-TAX. Can heart and body extract help with other ailments besides heart conditions, high blood pressure, clogged arteries, or unbalanced cholesterol? It did for Karen. I've been using heart and body extract for approximately two weeks. I've had an earwax buildup problem for many years, with over-the-counter stuff not working at all. I had very poor hearing due to this earwax buildup. Well, after two weeks of taking heart and body extract, my earwax buildup almost completely cleared up. Could this be the effect of better body circulation? Heart and body extract is an effective 100% organic nutritional supplement specially formulated to allow your body to heal itself. My hearing is almost completely back to normal. I'm amazed. Order by calling 866-295-5305 or online at hbextract.com. That's 866-295-5305 or hbextract.com. Heart and body extract for long and healthy life. What happened, man? You used to be energetic, happy, and wow, did the ladies love you. Now you fall asleep on the couch, irritable, and out of shape. Don't be that guy. Call now for a risk-free trial of Ageless Male, a natural supplement shown to raise testosterone by 50% and maintain healthy, normal levels. No injections, no appointments. 
With healthy testosterone levels, you can feel that energy again, that great outlook again, and yes, even a healthy sex drive. Right now, you can try Ageless Male risk-free. There's nothing to lose, guys. If you're a man who's noticed changes in your body, your mood, your sex life, call now for a risk-free trial of Ageless Male. Be the guy you used to be. Just call 1-888-246-0623. Don't wait another day. Just call 1-888-246-0623. Again, 1-888-246-0623. Hi, this is Clifford Cliff, the International Director for the Mutual UFO Network. You are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So, we're just tiny, crazy creatures, and we're trying to figure out what the heck's going on. What's your take we on this? We're paramecium, Gene. Oh, we are? Some are crazier than others. Speak for yourself. <laughs> Speaking for all of us. Well... I mean, there's a lot of possibilities out there, and, you know, you can talk about them all you want, but the, the, the bottom line, I think, is that uh, this is a very big universe, and I think that there is a lot more going on than we imagine. Just like there's a lot more going on in the ocean than we can see from the surface, once you get under the water, you'll start seeing all kinds of things happening, and, and I think it's the same way with extraterrestrials. There's, uh, there's a lot of stuff happening. We don't know about it, and we may not in, in this lifetime, but eventually I think that we're going to become aware of it and start figuring things out. So you don't think that all these freedom of information documents released around the world will ever reveal anything of significance? No, because if there was anything of significance in them, you, you wouldn't commit it to paper. You, you would never write that down. It could be on a computer somewhere, but then everybody can hack the computers. Oh, yeah, and you can also delete everything off your computer, too. You know, I mean, the thing is, is that if you're really dealing with extraterrestrials, you're not going to keep a paper record of it that somebody can, uh, you know, get from, the, from some library. Well, yeah, wait a minute, it's a bureaucracy. That, that, that's their job, is, is, is producing documentation and, and records and stuff, so... You know, chances are there is some record of something somewhere. I want to see the gun camera footage. I want to see the satellite tracking logs, the stuff that you know. With, without even a moment's hesitation, I would say that there is incredible visual evidence, footage, that the military has. And probably, uh, I would say, in association with the military, the you know, the aerospace companies. And... You know that there's satellite tracking data and, and really good quality stuff. The, these guys have been watching uh, with very, very evolved toys for several decades uh, at the least. So we know that there's at least that body of evidence there. Who's, who's in charge of it? Uh, have you done any digging into who is you know, potentially uh, monitoring all this uh, activity with, within the government? I mean, have you, have you looked at that at all? Or? Honestly, no, because I really don't believe that there is all that much information out there. I, I do. I think there's probably some interesting stuff out there, but again, I go back to my premise. Well, well Jeff, uh, uh, sorry to interrupt. Hold on one second. I, I a, a dear friend of mine was involved in the optics programs for practically every project we had from Apollo until the early '90s. He 
he told me he thought that every pretty much every system that's been developed from 99 forward has that function as one of its main functions is monitoring the airspace the interstellar uh, you know interplanetary airspace around this planet and uh, in, in tracking these these objects so well, you know i think there is on. there is uh, you know there is some element of the control structure that is monitoring all this stuff there, uh, you yeah i don't doubt it well again we're going back to the question of how uh, how capable are these ETs of keeping a, a secret? How I'm keeping themselves hidden? It doesn't matter how advanced our technology is, and, and how um, you know, from our perspective, it's it's, it's it's very advanced. From theirs, it's very primitive. So wouldn't that mean also they that they time. could maybe send holograms of their craft? So we look at the spaceship here. Look at the spaceship out there. They're doing something somewhere else. Mm-hmm. That's entirely possible. I'm saying, you know, we're like children dealing with adults. We think we've got the coolest toys in the world, and they just laugh at it and say, this is just primitive stuff. We had this stuff 500 years ago. You guys are starting, and you think it's so advanced. Uh, you know, uh, they're, they, they can hide from us anytime they want to, and we're never going to find them. Okay, the yeah, point well taken. So that's why I really don't think there's a lot out there that we don't know about. And if there was somebody who knew something, eventually they're going to tell us because that's human nature is to reveal what we know, uh, what is, you know when we can do it. So aren't we considering here that maybe the UFO researchers, some of them are being a little too egotistical to think they can understand the motives of this alien race? No, that's a possibility. You know, um, you can guess all you want what they're doing, and, but you know, just remember it's all guessing. Uh, we, we don't know because you know, we're, we're dealing with an intellect here which is so far beyond our own that uh, you know, it's, it's like uh, you know, children against, against college professors. It's just, you know, there's no match. Well, one thing that I do know, and I'm sure you'll probably agree with me here, I know Gene will, is that we have not one shred of unequivocal data that would even suggest, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, prove, I think would be the best word, the existence of an intelligent uh, extraterrestrial life form. I mean, we have not one shred of evidence. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, that's true. We have nothing that's empirical that, you can, that anybody can look at and say, absolutely, that's what it is. Uh, and, and that's by design. You know, if, if they want us to know about them, they'll reveal themselves to us. And if they don't, we're not going to find this stuff. We're not going to, they're not going to crash in Roswell, and we're going to recover it and reverse engineer it, and they're just going to sit back and watch us. You know, that doesn't make sense logically that they would do stuff like that. And, and so that's why uh, so much of the UFO stuff out there, I think, is bogus. It, it's, it's made up. It's sensationalized. It may be well-meaning. It might be quite sincere. But a lot of it is really just a fantasy that we've created uh, until the truth really does eventually one day hit us in the face and we have to confront it. And the question would be then whether that truth that we fantasize is of our own invention or we're being fed a little bit from someone or other. Yeah, we could have a little bit of both. It might be uh, just kind of a, what's the word, uh, kind of pulling our chain. Okay, so then comes the other question. Yank, yank. Yank, yank. Do we sit back and take it? Is there nothing we can do but just 
observe and hope that we'll figure something out before it's too late? Um, you know, well, I guess there's nothing really we can do in any real sense of, of, of uh, you know, eliciting their, their attention. I, I think the only thing we can really do is be aware of the fact that this is a very big universe, and I think we share it with a lot of people. And just to try to understand these things, I thing I don't understand is why people say there are no UFOs, there are no aliens. You know, to me, that's such a, a statement that can't be supported any more than the statement that there are can be supported. You have to be open to these things, and that's the only way really to grow and learn from it. So how do you grow and learn? Where do you go from here, having written these books, been around it for so long? Well... I don't really know where I got to. It's an interesting question. I hadn't thought about where to go next from here. Um, I, I just, I, I think what I've come away from this with, though, is a appreciation for how vast the universe is and how everything is really related to each other. And we're all part of this great cosmic experiment that stretches across billions of light years. And as I understand that, I, I kind of take a comfort in that, just knowing that, you know, we're not really alone. There's a lot of things going on out there, and I don't need to know about all of them. I just need to be aware of where I'm at in my stage of development and, uh, and see what plays out. I'll tell you what. Let's play this out. Where do our listeners find more of what you do? Well, if they go to my website at www.ourcuriousworld.com, They'll see all my articles, my books, and there's an email link there that they can uh, send me a comment or a question or a photograph or whatever they want to do, and I always respond if, it's, uh, if they're not being mean. Okay, speaking of not being mean. Our Curious World, I like yeah. that. It, it kind of reminds me of Our Strange Planet. Speaking of which, <laughs> there's a site called OurStrangePlanet.com. Tell us about it, Chris. Well, like Jeff's site, uh, there's a lot of uh, interesting stuff, uh, including, you know, uh, how to get my books and et cetera. But, you know, I do lurk about forum.theparacast.com, and we invite Jeff to come on and and, and uh, interact with some of our forum posters. Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm sure we're going to generate some really cool responses on our forums, uh, Jeff, and you're invited to, you know, to participate. And by the way, okay. by the way, we also can be found on Twitter, the Paracast. Jeff Danilek, I renew that invitation to join the forums. Yeah. Let's see what we can bring yeah, up. Yeah, and uh, come back for another show, too. This has been fun, man. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to doing this again. The Paracast. Featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.